Fading away. What? Wait, 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 where did that come from? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> that? That's me doing an intro because I didn't like oh. what I did before. Oh, that's your intro. Oh, <laughs> yeah, your intro yeah. and the music fading away. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's the, the music. It's going away. Wait, hold on. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. I'll. I'll... <laughs> oh, right. it's, it's already gone. The music is gone. But that was really nice what you just. I don't mean to inval. I like. I don't want to. You know. You. You. you what, the contributions was, that you gave to the team are fantastic. I was playing along with the music. You know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean. I. I. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, uh, should we jump yeah. into this? Well, first off, I should just say hi. My name is David Baxter. Just make sure I get, I get that said because we didn't say that last time. We seem to forget that a lot, but really, names are just a. a an ethereal thing we use to identify ourselves. Do we really need them anymore? They are a construct developed by uh, man. Uh, if we it took ourselves more uh, in this in the animal sense and just saw each other as beings, as a collective of other and us, then we would no longer have a need for names. Exactly. There is no there is no me and you, only us and them. But uh, your your name though, until we have transcended the need for names. Yes. Until until we have transcended the the ethereal need for the ethereal, not that transcendence would put us in an ethereal realm where we don't need it, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, the human need for identification. My name is Johnny Bartlett, your mm -hmm. sweet sweet uh, hug boy. Is that a thing? Yeah. Oh, dude, you are a huggable boy. If there was ever such a thing as a hug boy, you would be it, boy. Number one hug boy. Yeah. Oh, dude. And speaking of boys, so the games that we're going over in this bundle, one of them, uh, Warhammer 40k, will be one of the last ones. No, it's it's around the middle. But uh, the orc units in that game, they're all called boys. Oh, all I of them are boys. That. I love the word boy. People don't yeah. use it in society. Not even as like a gender term, but just as like boy, like like as like a a term of endearment or like a uh, the brain just boys. like a nice ter thing to call people. Uh, the the one thing is that I, I did read a thing recently that I forget the term and I feel bad for it, but it was something about like the sort of male centricity of language that I've sort of been starting to notice a little bit. It's David from the future again, here to let you know the term I was trying to think of here was androcentrism. Anyway, back to the show. I will I will call mo anybody bro because it, we're all bro. Everybody's bro, and, and but then like also. It's turning, like, everything and making it masculine, which is not cool. That's why I've taken to using, like, bae and boo a lot. Because it's it feels very, like, affectionate, and it's not gender-defining, you know? It's just kind of like, I care about you as a person, babe. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> uh, people kind of shit on those terms, but, like, I have all also used them unironically, and they're kind of nice as just, like, a general catch-all term that, like, is gender-inclusive of both people and doesn't, like, specify one or the other. It's nice. Yeah, and I feel like it, sh it it shows a level of intimacy that's, like, beyond kind of, like, buddy. It's, like... Yeah. It, I like it, folks. It... <laughs> folks and y'all are what I've used for a while, but, like, they aren't they aren't perfect. They don't get you all the way there. Uh, yeah, I use homie and boo probably the most. Yeah, those are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Speaking of boo, 
Yeah, I, and I already like <laughs> transitioned to this like twice already. I think I <laughs> we're we're getting there. You know, we we've got to give you twenty minutes of bullshit at the start, otherwise it wouldn't be the bundle bourgeoisie. It's true. That's what we're that's what we're here for, baby. That's what we're about. So, uh, first game in our bundle here, folks, is Heave Ho. The second game we have is Chess Ultra. The third game we have is Rise of Industry. The fourth game we have is Niche. The fifth game we have is Jurassic World Evolution. Followed by Mo Astre. And then Warhammer 4000 Gladius. Uh, Then we have XCOM 2. Warsa. The Swords of Ditto. Horus. And finally, Neoverse. Ooh, that's a lot of games. We better jump in. Jump directly in. We should. In. We should just jump right into this. Yeah, just uh, w- without a care for safety or concern for others. You know, uh, there's no if, OSHA <laughs> standard for podcasting, so I think we're good. You know, they should probably start one, but <laughs> <laughs> just saying. <laughs> you know, I am a big fan of unions, and I think unionization yeah. and union rules are great, so... It's just like just like a constant like video feed of just like are you podcasting right is is your is your setup okay are are you are your feet firmly on the ground does your back have lumbar support <laughs> are you are you supporting yourself right because like if you're not then like that lowers your lifespan dude <laughs> okay uh, speaking of things that lowered my lifespan uh, heave ho <laughs> <laughs> you know you can't blame it entirely on the game it might have been your co-op partner too. Nah, I mean, it's it's a bit of both. Uh, this is a game that we enjoyed together on stream. Uh, this is a very lovely co-op game. I think it's also published by Devolver. It's one of those um, that they they include in the bundle. Uh, there's usually at least, like, one Devolver game, because Devolver has so many games. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it was developed, more specifically, by Le Cartel Studio. They also made Mother Bl- Russia Bleeds, which is a uh, beat-em-up, which sounds pretty cool. What actually. a title for a game, yeah. Yeah, no, it sounds pretty dope. But this uh, is much different. It's nowhere near as gritty. It is uh, just a 2D co-op party platformer. It reminded me a little bit of I Am Bread, but like a 2D version of it where you have two arms, a uh, right and a left, that's controlled by the right bumper and the left bumper. Uh, and, uh, you sort of have to grab and lift yourself around these colorful, goofy environments with a lot of, uh, and just the, the aesthetic of it is very silly. Like there's that, that one llama that just sort of like wandered by at one point. <laughs> and just, him. it ripped ass and covered the whole screen in, in like this fucking brown yeah, gas. Yeah, fucking... It farted and like prevented our progress. <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, so this game is just delightful, and I honestly was like laughing like out loud constantly while playing this, just because like the, the silly things that you do or like you mess up and you like bring your partner with you or something in co-op. It's so funny. Um, you can play it single player. There is a single player mode, but it is pretty much just the multiplayer stages, except without the extra challenge coin. And the challenge coin is, like, where the fun of this game is, I think, in my opinion. Because trying to get that coin... Yeah, getting the coin. Get the coin. It's just, like, so stressful, but so enjoyable. 
because uh, you have it, like you it basically gets rid of one of your arms and you, you no longer have access to that arm so uh you either have to like sort of hock it and then uh hit it in the goal or figure out some way to carry it together the way that we figured that was most optimal was to both of us grab it with one arm that way we could sort of operate like one gigantic heave ho character where sort of like the coin is the head of the heave ho character and we are the individual arms of it the old three-legged race yeah literally and we would just uh kind of swing around wildly in this large elongated form uh until we got to the end because uh, i don't know if i should explain this because this is a vis- this is not a visual medium but this is a game <laughs> in which you play as just like a head and arms like nothing else <laughs> you know what i mean like, yeah. i don't know if i should specify that otherwise it might sound weird <laughs> so multiplayer is definitely the best i think it was only local though which kind of was a little bit of a bummer uh you can still play with other people online using the Steam uh, stream share. What I meant to say was Steam remote play. I'm a dumbass. Back to the show. Uh, I don't know exactly what it's called, but uh, we were able to stream the game to each other and play it off of each other. Kind of like Parsec, if you've ever used that uh, service. It's a very similar sort of thing where you can play local games uh, on multiplayer online. Uh... So it has lots of courses uh, that you, when you get coins, you get to unlock more outfits, voices, and uh, faces and stuff. It's really fun to do that. I, I can actually see myself just playing this game single player to unlock a whole bunch of stuff for like when I have friends over so they can dress themselves up really cool. It's a very um, fun play with friends on like a Friday night game. Oh my gosh, yeah, it really is. Like For that reason alone, I would say that this is an absolutely great buy-in. Uh, for this bundle cycle uh it's just so fun co-op not as good a single player like i said but it's still enjoyable i'd still probably do it to unlock stuff so i'm just repeating myself i i, I <laughs> yeah yeah he thought fun and just uh well you know what else is fun what what's fun Ch- I, i'd say chess is is pretty fun it's like it's like one of the oldest games one of the oldest co-op games, I'd say, right? If not the oldest, other than, like, kill, animal, make meat. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, Go, there's, like, there's there's Ramshuckle, and who can stick, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> chess is where it's at. Chess is where it's at. And speaking of chess, one of the inclusions this month was Chess Ultra HD. Whoa. Uh, yeah, HD chess. It's exactly <laughs> as it sounds. Made by Ripstone, who is more of a publisher than a developer, but they have yeah. to get the money to publish from somewhere, and apparently that somewhere is $40 chess skins. It's kind of like the equivalent of the government opening up a lemonade stand instead of paying for taxes from, like, asking for people for it, you know? It's kind of like that. That is such a good metaphor to describe <laughs> what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, look they opened like... up their own lemonade stand oh man let's go get some uh, government funded lemonade <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this is chess um if you're not familiar with the game chess uh i applaud your ability to avoid mainstream culture and education and entertainment how the fuck do uh, you not know chess everybody knows chess <laughs> 
You know, we don't know our audience, you know? Is chess a- I, I don't know. I I know Shogi. Chess is probably a Western game, right? I don't know if it's necessarily, like, globally known. I played Shogi recently, and it was basically, like, the Japanese version of chess, uh, but it was entirely in, like, kanji and, and those kind of different characters. It might have even been Chinese. I don't know. See? But... So if Majang. you're not familiar with chess, uh, it is it is the aristocrian uh battle simulator in which you protect your king from falling in combat and both players take turns moving a piece and trying to take the other person's king um it's it's chess uh it's it's very easy to get into it's very hard to master uh except a computer will always be better than you at it because that's the world we live in yeah, we played this one on stream, and uh, I gotta say, it is the bougiest motherfucking chess game I've ever seen in my entire life. It is so bougie. Like, everything is HD texture, like, clearly built for VR to be played in. Um, all, God, the, like, lighting and particle effects were on point. It was very gorgeous. Yeah. But that's that's all there was to it it was chess you know and and chess has been around forever if you if you want to look at it it's like there's not much to say about it honestly it's a pretty version you're gonna spend 20 dollars a skin can we talk about one feature of this game that i i did really find to be quite cool that we got to explore just a tiny bit It, it was the the historical match the historical match yes it was very cool it was so there's there's a few options for sort of like solo play. You know, you can play against computers and stuff. And then they had some scenarios set up. And some of those scenarios were historical matches in which you re they, they put you at a certain board state during a certain moment in a certain chess game. And your job is to figure out in like seven moves how this player won the game. Uh, the one that David and I did together was the very first recorded chess game ever. The oldest. We played through the last seven moves of it. And it was it was really cool. Like you you play a moment of history and and you get to like live witness your opponent's mistakes and and everything. It's a lot of fun. Like you it, it's weird playing through these moments with hindsight as well. Like you have <laughs> right you you don't you don't know how smart the opponent was you don't know what they were doing if they tripped up or anything you spent so long so long this this guy spent just trying to figure it out legit and like i was just i was just giving him like clue after clue of just like no you have to do something else you have to do something else and it turns out the correct play was a misplay yeah, so the 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 match we played like from from my my big wise college brain um I I was trying to make moves that I felt okay this would be the justified thing to do in this moment because my opponent's going to make a different move, you know. I assumed my opponent would always make the smartest play. Uh but then I made a move, but the actual move was one in which your opponent responds with a a less optimal play opening them up for check. It's really interesting because like I guess theoretically that's how you win every game of chess in the end. But assu- I always assumed that my opponent was going to make the right move, but in order to win eventually they have to not. Yeah, that was just really fascinating. I mean like I don't know how the AI accounts for like you winning in a different way. You know what I mean? 
uh, I don't know how that adaptive AI sort of functions, but the fact that you can just sort of replay, just sort of like match for match these historical matches, and the fact that like the oldest one that we have on record is one that is like kind of dumb, and you wouldn't you wouldn't guess the the way to win because it's a really dumb way to win. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really you make a suboptimal play because you assume your opponent's gonna screw it up. It's it's really mm. weird. <laughs> But uh, what what's the overall verdict for this game? You think it's okay uh, to jump jump to there? Well, my overall verdict is uh, buy a chessboard. Oh, just just it's, I mean, it's cheaper. You get to play with your friends in like real life. You can you can Google the mat, like have your buddy Google a historical match and set up the board for you. You don't necessarily need the <laughs> computer to do it for you. Um, you know that would actually be a pretty accurate way to simulate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's chess, and there's there's not a lot to say about it. And and I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm just old school and would rather play chess in person. But if you're gonna play it, you might as well look me in the eye. But but in this in this age of COVID, is this not the best quality virtual reality chess that money oh. can buy? A hundred percent, it is the best quality virtual reality chess that money can buy. But uh, my question to you would be: If you're so into chess that you want the best <laughs> quality virtual reality game chess game money can buy, um, you probably are way beyond playing chess on the computer. Okay, <laughs> you know you got a point. Like, like you you probably have like fifty of your own like antique chess sets that all have like i don't know crazy shit like you got the super mario one and the dildo one and like, uh, <laughs> yeah, the metal yeah. One. deep blue is out there just like ordering from bezos all the chess boards like he ain't he ain't playing <laughs> online he's, he's just covid hoard, hoarding shopping all of the the chess boards in the area <laughs> so yeah it's but it but it's really cool because it like i mean it's chess and it it has very historical significance in especially our society you know it, it, hmm. it is this sort of idea of like the aristocrian like strategies of war and always protect the king and and he should be the last person to fall you know until until the aristocracy was all kicked away with the rise of industry and everything but it's still a great look at history it's, yeah, it's very interesting how eccentric it is on, like, the royalty uh, and, like, how much power it gives to the royalty. But also, like, how in the game design it also kind of tells you that, like, the pawn is the only one with upward mobility. Yeah, yeah, the pawn is the only person with class mobility. Yeah, I don't know. Until the rise of industry and the fall of the aristocracy. Sort of, like, the only the only person with the ability to rise, the common man, everyone else can only just fall. Until the rise of industry. Yeah, well... I mean, I can take that and just, I can just throw that into the ground. I actually, I, in my head, I was like, I was, in my head, I was planning a different segue, but you gave it to me so overt and so bluntly, like over the head, like you were bludgeoning me with a fucking hammer that I legitimately <laughs> did not fucking realize that I did not, in my fucking ape head, realize that you were giving me a segue. <laughs> okay, Rise of Industry. It's, it was... <laughs> It's the it's the next game on the docket. It was developed by uh, Dapper Penguin Studios. It is an industry and economy simulation management game. 
Uh, it's very similar to Capitalism 2, but focuses much more on the industry side, where you don't actually have uh, the ability to, for example, buy uh, your own shops or residences. Instead, you have to build around pre-existing cities and sort of sell to pre-existing uh, farmers markets and hardware stores. You start out building uh, these sort of very raw resource uh, sort of producing facilities um, that give you things like oranges uh, and wheat and, uh, and wood and coal and oil. And you can sell those, but it doesn't really make you that much money. Uh, ultimately, what you uh, the goal is is to make enough money and then research uh, enough to start getting better and better things to start crafting uh, with your sort of uh, industry uh, conglomerate. Uh, and eventually, uh, you'll start building more and more complicated things until you get to start, like the really crazy stuff like cars and phones. Uh, so one of the things that I was building for in my game was soda, and it just took me super long time because there's a whole bunch of things you have to build in the meantime, like glass production and like uh, painting and then bottling and then like all this other stuff. Uh, so it has a lot of ca improvements over Capitalism too in terms of just like modern accessibility options. You know, this isn't limited to like 800 by 900 like that game was. This was a game that was released in 2019 as opposed to 2001. So there's uh, <laughs> a lot of accessibility options that are just so nice to have yeah, that are all just from modern games uh, that make it a lot easier to run and look pretty. Uh, although that being said, this game is very minimalistic. Uh, it's It's kind of plain looking, honestly. It's not like my favorite visually or uh it doesn't really have much like character or charm i'd, I'd say um but it does have a, a pretty fun gameplay loop if you're the type to get into it it's just a lot of managing uh sort of inputs and outputs of upkeep making sure that uh different things are getting uh, produced in the right way and uh you know it, it's pretty fun it's just kind of a little bit bland for my taste there's just no campaign uh, and this tutorial is a little bit lacking. There are options for kind of uh, setting up the maps, and the different difficulty options are, are very uh, customizable. So you can actually get very in-depth with how uh, you want to start it out if you want to be like very easy on yourself to get started out with. And while you're still learning, that's uh, very easy to do. Um, but I think I actually, uh, what I realized when I was playing this is that I prefer economy management simulators that focus more on the human angle of managing people because like this game feels really divorced from like the actual labor side of the industry you know like i i don't feel like this game has like a human element like i don't see humans there's buildings that produce things that produce other things that get shipped out to other things that get railed off and then sold to other hardware stores I never see people. I see people in fucking trucks delivering my things. That's such an interesting point to make, though, too, in, like, modern society, because that is that is the world we live in. It's, it, mm. it, it's not... People aren't responsible for the creation of these things. It's all the industry. It's all, it's all the, the owners and the company that makes these things, even though... Even though the people are the ones working for them, we we don't see them as people who are who are working to build these things. We see them as just another part of that machine, another part of the industry. Literally, like all the people in this are just cogs in the machines of making you the player money. 
And, like, that's, I think, why these kind of games make me a little bit uncomfortable, is because it's completely divorced from the human angle. I really enjoy games like Tropico that force you to both engage with the economic aspects, but also the political ramifications of it, and sort of trying to make a group of people happy and keeping them happy, while also trying to fulfill all of the societal goals that you have, like free healthcare and stuff like that. You really need to play Frostpunk. I do! I really, that's one of the things that I think after um, we have more time in between bundles, I'm going to try to play it. I have it installed on my computer. It's, yeah, because it, it, it's it's the exact opposite of that. It is it is literally managing the people while while trying to make things continue. Yeah, that sounds way more interesting to me. Like, and, and making it a human story rather than a story about production is, is just so much more fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that if, if you wanted to try this game, uh, go for it. Like the, the developers seem to be pretty um, avid and like adding more to it. Uh, it was released in 2019, but it seems like from the videos that I watched that they've been adding a lot since then to sort of make it bigger and better. Um, but I personally did not enjoy it. Uh, it's not for everyone. Uh, so if you were into it, give it a shot. Otherwise, maybe just watch it as it develops a little bit more. Uh, that, that that's what I kind of have to say about that do you, game. Do you think there's any like merit for it as like a a learning tool for understanding how production actually works, or is it pretty? Uh, is it is it a pretty glorified sense of that too, and not like a really realistic expectation of what production actually is like? I think that it has a good sense of, of the sort of system of it. You know, like, you need oranges, and then, like, uh, you need to get get them to the factory, and then the factory also needs water, and then it also needs sugar for the water, but you need to mix that into soda water first, and then you need to mix the soda water and take it to the factory. And, and so it sort of teaches you, like, okay, all of these things that even if you might consider them to be fairly simple, they are all have many different disparate parts that are very complicated and... and sort of understanding the nuances of what is needed for production is, I think, uh, still very interesting. But at the same time, uh, I would say that Capitalism 2 and the Capitalism 2 mod with the, the lab, uh, if that is as good as I, I hear that it is, might be a better overall representation for educational purposes. Okay, that's totally fair. But if you wanted to play like a fun game, I feel like this is a lot easier to get into because the systems uh, in UI are a lot easier uh, I'd say more accessible to a modern audience, but there is still a lot of some UI problems, I'd say. Not a lot. Just like there's a lot of windows that come up a lot and they <laughs> often come up in the same place and it's just like I keep wanting to move it and not having it show up in the same place, but it does. Mm -hmm. That's kind of annoying. But other than that. Okay. So there's there's a little niche for it at least. Yeah, you know, there there is there's a niche for this kind of a game. Uh, speaking of niches <laughs> You know, uh, these are man. these these segues are gonna get real good eventually. Guys. You just like what I love about that segue is that you basically just like fucking did like one of those like like uh, Mortal Kombat like to the segue, just like you just gripped it and you took it by the reins, man. I love it. Uh, you know, there was a little lull, so I was like, all right, all right, this is the point. No, that was uh, good, man. I'm glad that you you're getting my energy. We're starting to get I'm, better. I'm, but I do love I do love just making you sit there and suffer. It's so great. <laughs> <laughs> it's it is fun. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it's all in good or you, that there, there's this moment where you finish talking and you just kind of like wait for me to start talking i love it and then and then you realize what i'm doing <laughs> yeah yeah uh it's beautiful uh never change Thanks. so niche uh is a game created by stray fawn studios uh, they also made retimed and nimbatus uh two other games that i've never heard of but they look really mm. interesting in the sense that i looked at the developer page so <laughs> don't quote me wow. um, i'm i'm honest at least niche it's a it's a genetic survival game and it's like it is a survival game in the sense that it is boiled down to like the core essence of survival you do three things in this game you eat you sleep and you fuck and that's it like that is that is all there is to the game um there the the only things you have to manage is your food intake and how long you're surviving because you have to continue to propagate your species otherwise you'll go extinct as you're trying to like travel across different lands and make it back to your your home island um so yeah it's 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 a very essential and core look at sort of darwinian evolution at its core it's it's a lot of like uh you have the whole game is like just this rudimentary look at genetics you have just like gene splice or gene mutations so all of your all of your little creatures your little fox boys and girls have two different traits that you can put as their uh dominant trait for genetic mutation so that your offspring are more likely to have those traits. So if you want, if you're, if you realize that like the island you just went to has heavy weather and it's a very cold island, then you want to give your children the best chance of surviving. So you might give them thick fur. You might make that your your genetic mm. uh, mutation. And so you give them thick fur, which increases their cold resistance, so your children can survive in that weather. Uh, it's it's a very interesting look at the evolutionary process in the sense that like the player gets to control it and and dictate sort of the genes that are passing down but you still get that look at like your 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 family tree and and the way the genes are passing down and like they're not guaranteed to mutate or anything right um, and, and you sort of have to do, do you, like does this sort of obey by like the same laws of of genetics as like the sort of like the mendel square like could you kind of like have that sort of mendel square out and kind of like try to sort of plan out a strategy here a hundred percent you can plan it out yeah you can and that's like that that was kind of my core strategy is my initial group of of offspring i tried to make as good as at gathering as possible so before i got into the harsher climates i would have enough food stored that i could get through them easier without having to worry about foraging or looking for food i could just produce offspring at that point that were able to survive cold weather rather than worrying about food because I had enough saved up from my earlier generations. Interesting. Yeah, it, it was really interesting. I, I like it for the sense that, like, the simplicity of it. It doesn't try to be anything extravagant or more than it needs to be. It's just kind of like, these are sort of some modeled ideas of, of evolution and genetics, and, like, let's just make it into an interactable uh, experience, you know? And so that's what they do. Like the the whole thing is is sped up by you know rather than things living ten years, you live ten turn cycles. But mm. it's great. And I I so 
there's this really interesting connection that I made that it is probably my my proly brain jumping to conclusions that <laughs> we shouldn't be jumping to when analyzing art. Okay, but, tell, tell me your completely we... biased viewpoint about uh, this piece of art, please. This is my biased viewpoint about this piece of art. There, you get three uh, actions per day. Now. I, I I may be interpreting here a little bit, but obviously three actions. Well, a day is divisible by eight, so that's roughly eight hours a day, right? Mm-hmm. So so genetically, right? We we as species probably spend about eight hours a day feeding ourselves, eight hours a day propagating our species, and eight hours a day, you know, just doing whatever the fuck we want, you know? Okay. <laughs> so so the the whole you know. Eight, eight hours a day to feed ourselves, so eight hours for work, eight hours for sleep, and eight hours for whatever the fuck we want, you know? That'd be kind of nice. It, it's it's just an interesting balance of, like, the the ideas of how much time we should be putting into the work of survival versus being able to screw around. Huh. That is interesting. <laughs> totally, totally... Uh, I keep uh, saying that, but, like, I guess... <laughs> <laughs> it's a totally nothing word, but like uh, the the thing that I I was kind of wanting to say earlier is that this at least kind of looked a little bit goofy to me. It kind of reminded me of Spore a little bit. It it a hundred percent feels like uh, but it, it, in the sense that it's it's a very watered down version of the the point in spur between galactic uh colonization and. Uh, the 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 single celled fish people kind of part. So when you're like on the islands in the character creation and you're wandering around looking for mates, it's purely right. that part of Spore. It's just like that first tribal phase, just kind of extended out to a full game about genetics. Exactly, exactly. So so it it, it is very much just the fundamentals of it. Okay, uh, which is which is kind of interesting too, though, because it's like it's that idea of. Um, as as playing the game too, as like an objective, you know, viewer of the game and watching this genetic experience, you realize like there's a point where oh, my species has enough food to last six generations, so now my species just doesn't have to worry about gathering food, so they can spend their time doing other stuff like exploring new islands and and expanding their their lines and stuff and their lineage and their family and stuff. So it's it's a really interesting look about the necessities of life as well. And like what, as we develop more necessities and, and stockpile them, it ex- it gives the species more room to expand and more room to explore other means rather than just survival. Uh, one thing that I am kind of curious about that just kind of weirdly popped into my mind from what you were talking about. Um <laughs> This might sound out of left field, but like, is this game like a? Like, does it have like a bit of a eugenicist to take? Does it? Is it like a little bit? Um. So it's it's interesting in that sense because, I mean, it. I I think it's up to the player, the person playing, right? Because entirely, you could make it take that route. Like, if one of your species has an unfavorable gene. You can make it walk off to the side of the island and not reproduce and just die to make sure that gene does not repropagate. Because, uh, like, so, that's a valid strategy for survival in this game. 
it's it's a very valid strategy. Like at, at one point, one of my guys got sick, and none of my my other species had uh, immunity or cold resist or like it, it any sort of like uh, sickness resistance. And so, it, like the the solution was to just isolate it on the other side of the island. Huh. Yeah. So so yeah, there there is like if if you want to take a very interesting, I I personally didn't even consider that approach when I was playing. It, it hadn't even crossed my mind because like eugenics are so fucked up that it's just like yeah. Well, I wouldn't normally make this connection, but like just like the way that you were describing it, I was just kind of like the gears were turning in my head, and I was like, is this a game about eugenics? <laughs> it's totally fair. Like it's it, it's totally fair. I could definitely see that interpretation, and under the right lens, like I I might have thought the same thing. I just I was very focused on the idea that like once you collected enough as a species, like it, eugenics didn't matter. I could have all the the mm. terrible traits in my G, my species as I wanted because like we were well fed and taken care of. So like some guy who couldn't dig and you know, lived half a lifespan was fine because, like, we have the food for him. Yeah, okay. Huh. And, and yeah, so it's it's very interesting, and I think that, like, that's a very valid approach to the game. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's interesting. I I can't say I'd recommend it because it's very, very surface level. It It is, like, it is eating sleeping and fucking and that is it like and if that if that's that floats a boat if that's like if that's the kind of core survival game you've been looking for that like you just want the raw mechanics and you just, you just want to get that in eating, there you just want that sleeping you just want that fucking if that's all you're <laughs> after if you just want like like darwinian evolution at its core escalated to like a hundred then this is the game for you otherwise i would uh, i would recommend it as a learning tool for kids like Buy this game and show it to your children and play it with them and, like, introduce them to some of the ideas of evolution and genetics and stuff through it. Because it's a great lens as, like, it's a very child-friendly friend- lens to look at it. But but probably avoid the eugenics if you're going to show it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, do you think that this would be a good learning tool for, like, for example, like a middle school student's, uh, like biology class or something like that absolutely yeah like if you were if you were learning this playing this game in school alongside like a lecture about genetics and stuff i think that is the perfect place for this game that's cool man i like that yeah it's it but like my biggest complaint is it's just it's a very small scale look at evolution and i kind of wish there was just like a much bigger take on evolution that i could play like 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 a jurassic level uh, uh like like that level of big just i was like... thinking colossal but jurassic works <laughs> well good news for you because there's there's a whole new evolution of of games coming to you from frontier developments the same people who brought from t- to you the, the the planet of zoo the planet of coaster which we also reviewed in uh, was it was it our april podcast probably uh, um <laughs> look that up so i'm, I'm right uh, or maybe Editor not. David, please, Editor David please. will get that right. <laughs> Editor David will let us know. Johnny was right. Uh, the bundle was in March. Bastard. Uh, <laughs> um, so we covered Planet Coaster, uh, Lost Winds, and something, and they also made Elite Dangerous. So that's crazy. I could not believe that. That just like blew my mind. 
So uh, this this developer and the game that we're talking about today is Jurassic World Evolution. It is a licensed tie-in game to Jurassic World, like you know that one with like Chris Pratt. Uh, Ooh. yeah. Ooh. Wait, is Chris Pratt in the game? Yeah. For real? Well, like he's not like a character that like you can like zoom in on, but like basically all of the Jurassic Park characters from like all of the different movies have like a codex entry. And like one of, that was one of the things that I was going to talk about in this game is that like not only did this uh, game have a codex, but a game that we're going to talk about in a minute had a codex as well. And I feel like I'm learning so much from like these different things that I'm just reading about because it would tell you about like different dig sites around the world and like different dinosaurs and like their eating habits and, and like how they would like live with each other or, or at least in theory and, and just like, ah, oh, it's so cool, dude. I'm, I'm loving amazing. this game. Uh, so it is a dino scientist theme park manager simulator. <laughs> it, it has a lot to do with uh, genetics, which is why we kind of bit pieced this right next to niche. Uh, because dinos are your lifeline in this game. People only visit your, your island resort when you have really cool, interesting dinos. Lots of different dinos to look at. Uh, literally, like, I started out in this one map that was just, like, an abandoned theme park that was, like, one of the fourth islands, I think, and, um, it just sucked, because, uh, nothing gives you any kind of revenue except for dinosaurs until, like, you get dinosaurs, and, like, people coming to your island, then they'll visit your other stuff, like, we just kind of, while they're there, it's, like, one of those things where, like, you get somebody going to the store to buy the milk at the the back of the store, but, like, you get them to buy a whole bunch of shit along the way. Like, it's that sort of consumer strategy mm -hmm. uh, of trying to milk people out for all their worth. Uh, the graphics in this game were very good. I do need to upgrade my PC so they look better. Uh, the footage was a little bit of a struggle to capture for this one. Uh, but... The interesting thing about this game is dino management and uh, dino breeding. You get to sort of breed a whole bunch of different strands of genetics into your dinos. Uh, you can research different uh, upgrades that are like sh uh, shark uh, DNA for long-lasting age and hard skin. Uh, tortoise DNA for also the same thing. I, I, those are the two that I use a lot because <laughs> i really like the long lasting age that means that they're there for longer and i can milk the use out of the dinos for longer uh <laughs> that the, you know there's like a like a snake dna to give it like attack instincts or or like lizard dna to give it uh a, like adaptive healing so sort of like if you get if you get its tail cut off then it can reheal um it's a lot of really interesting uh stuff in that sense uh but all, all of that ultimately comes down to just like making real cool ass dinos for people to look at <laughs> um this uh you start out like kind of with not a lot and you have to manage your resources a lot to avoid uh any kind of escapees because uh, that does happen very frequently uh if they get unsatisfied with their living conditions for any reason uh they'll just panic and start attacking the doors usually and that'll cause uh, an outbreak if they get out, uh, which you have to sort of uh, quell using certain buildings that cost money. So on, like some of the other islands where you don't have those buildings yet, if like a 
dinosaur breaks out, it's like means to restart the island because you, you'll never get the building fast enough sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it, but it's that very classic Jurassic arc of like, your dinosaurs are gonna get out eventually. That's the thing, is that, like, and I'm gonna kind of get to this, but like, I wanna, I, I don't know for sure if this game fully pulls off that idea from the book of, of like, sort of bringing to life uh this sort of lifelong dead carelessly brought back it's not fully understood and, and because of that and our inability to sort of understand their complexities uh they sort of rebel back at us also mm -hmm. rebelling at the sort of institutions of capitalism because uh, <laughs> like the number one problem when, when like your dinosaurs get out is, is people getting injured because uh, yeah. pe people get injured that means management lawsuits people are scared to come back as uh the joe exotic from tiger king put it oh my god i am never gonna financially recover from this <laughs> <laughs> you know when like it's getting down to the wire and you're dealing with like all of these ferocious animals that like you're kind of keeping against their will uh, and you have to sort of make profit from them somehow. At, at a certain point, you kind of have to sacrifice your sort of uh, willingness for for the safety of other people and their well-being, as well as the safety of these dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. As profits go up, the safety goes down. But but I made the T Rex and uh the the Strithlomimuses fight, so it was great. <laughs> you have a dinosaur coliseum fuck yeah i did you can totally do that in this game bro you can just make dinos fight each other that's fucking <laughs> wild because like there's three different sort of things like bars that you have to sort of worry about whenever you start a new island uh, and you sort of retrieve contracts to sort of fulfill uh get, get more money and, and fulfill influence uh requirements mm -hmm. so that you can get more quests from them uh and you, there's the split between the three different categories of science, uh, security, and entertainment, baby. Uh, and of course, entertainment is the thing that I always tried to max out with my islands because that's where I feel like all the money's at. That's where the money comes from. But I, I found my most successful islands usually started with the security quests. <laughs> <laughs> Just because they like got your island into such a nice like situation that you can deal with basically any kind of problem. Uh, and a lot of the time they, they do give you kind of consumer related quests as well like uh, maintain a total of 600 guests in your park you know and yeah. those are easy quests to complete I feel like whereas sometimes the consumer ones are kind of uh, bullshit where like you have to like research a whole bunch of shit and sometimes like you don't even have like a research building to be able to research it and it's like dude go away I don't have the time for you <laughs> I don't have your building <laughs> um in that sense, I feel like this game is a lot more uh, kind of linear and sort of more structured than Planet Coaster. Planet Coaster was a lot more freeform. You can kind of build whatever you wanted. This game feels like they want you to build more specific things. Uh, it's a little bit more railroaded, but I kind of like that. I like that there's a little bit of structure. Uh, it makes it feel like there's a more continuous campaign from like beginning to end of the game. Uh, as you kind of go from island to island, there's sort of different mechanical needs in each island that you have to worry about. Uh, and yeah, at the end of the day, though, I, I, I just I wonder how much it fulfills 
on that idea because like there are there are ways that like you can kind of not understand the needs of the dinosaurs like for example uh, if you don't produce two of the same dinosaur they will get lonely Aww. and yeah a lonely dino is not a good dino di they freak out they, they just go psycho and then rampage in your park and then murder everyone so don't let that happen uh you also have to like worry about storms and stuff like that uh, and so, like, you have to have storm shelters in case a storm comes by. Everyone, like, packs into the storm shelters that you place around the different island. Um, and it's all about, like, managing that sort of, uh, risk of everything going wrong under your feet while also making a ton of money off of the backs of dangerous animals, which in that sense, it's very much like Tiger King. It's at, like, I was talking about it while we were preparing and like, it's actually kind of scary how many parallels I can draw between Jurassic Park and the uh captive like live big cat uh whole situation yeah it's it's the exact same it's just not extinct animals or well not extinct yet animals yeah yeah uh with like climate change and all that who knows man that's fucking real shit though <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> given, given the ratio of brought back to life dinosaurs versus tigers and the amount left it's probably pretty close Look, I'm not going to be happy until I have my dodos, all right? I know that they went extinct. <laughs> I want them back. I want dodo round two. Okay? We all want dodos. Especially after we got those handsome dodo brothers from the, the, the Animal Crossing Animal game. Crossing? Good Animal yeah. Crossing? Yeah. That's a tangent. Anyway, uh, yeah, I plan on playing more of this game when I upgrade my computer, but I would recommend this to basically anybody that has an interest in management games or... Uh, wants to try a management game that's uh, themed after a really, really cool subject. It's a little bit shallow in some ways, uh, in that I feel like there's less customization, but I also feel like it's just really fun. But I do like that, that direct parallel that it shows of the ideas of, of profit-seeking and, and the significance that profit has in, in consumer safety as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And just the idea that, like, we can kind of sacrifice some of those things, especially when we need to in order for financial survival to sort of make a profit and maintain uh, our, our staying in the green. Uh, <laughs> I, I think of that one scene, which if you haven't seen it, it from, from Tiger King, it's like in the second episode, I think, where Joe Exotic is talking about, like, uh, one of his employees who, like, lost their arm. And, and like, the thing that he says, I quoted it earlier... I will never financially recover from this. And he's thinking about his money when he should be thinking about the fact that he, one of the people that he just brought into his care just lost their arm. Yeah. You know? But, he, but all he cares about is the money at the end of the day. And that's all the player cares about too. <laughs> but it's, but it's, it's so nice because it puts you in direct conflict with that and seeing the direct result and impact. So it's like, no matter how much you care about just profits, you're going to have to make sacrifices in your profits or everyone's just going to die. It's kind of like the, yeah, it, it, it's sort of in that sense, it does fulfill some aspects of, of the idea. I believe it's, it's chaos theory that they reference in the book. Yes. Uh, and the exact example that, that I, I think about uh, is this ex scene where the dinosaur eats plants that are like modern and then it die it's like getting it's dying and it's poisoned and they're trying to figure out why and they realize that it's because the modern plants have like some kind of different biome that they aren't used to processing that is poisonous to them mm -hmm. and, and just like the small little things that you don't you wouldn't think about that, that you need to make a second little friend 
even though you're running out of money and you don't have enough for a second friend. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly you have four animals that are all lonely and all trying to escape. Uh, that was fun. But <laughs> uh, speaking of, of things that, that are escaping and, and, and do a lot of jumping around. Speaking of games that, games with escape... Oh, man. I, oh, Moastery. I, yeah, I just dropped that on your plate this time. How do you like it? My my mouth didn't form the words to connect, and <laughs> so it was just like, hi, I, word. It's hard. It's hard, man. It's not easy. It's hard work uh, podcasting. You know, we'd probably make this a lot easier if we pre-wrote segues, but like, screw that. This is but I like doing the improv. I like the improv. I'm a professional improviser. This is what I do for a living. So, like, let's let's do it. Keep it fresh. Uh, Mo Astry. It's it's a beautiful Mo little game. Astray. It Mo is astray. a. God damn it! <laughs> Four years in college and I'm still illiterate. Mo, Mo astray. astray. The beautiful game about blobs or whatever. <laughs> Mo astray. Yep, that makes a lot more sense because astray is an actual word that exists in our language. Yeah, it means like to sort of escape, which is where I was like getting all of my <laughs> to escape, which is what you're doing. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's that's where I got my segue from. <laughs> so now that I know how to read uh, Mo astray, a game by Archprey Inc. It is their only game they made. Okay. Uh, and it is it is another interesting kind of look at um and and I think that's I don't, I don't know if you you noticed the theme but that's kind of a theme that I got in a lot of my stuff is this idea of like genetics and the way it plays oh. Yeah I, I definitely I, got that but not, not in all of mine I, I definitely felt an educational vibe going on from most of these games like I learned a lot playing these different games this week You know I learned the word astray so I did too Yeah we're all learning things uh, and it's <laughs> the the best way I can think of describing this game is a sort of portal esque puzzle game, in that sense that like Portal is is a puzzle game with a singular core mechanic that you use to solve all the puzzles. It, it's the gun. Even in the action sequences, you're using the puzzle uh, component, the gun, to solve and and figure out the action sequences. What is the uh, fundamental mechanic of this game? Uh, it's not portals, is it? It's not portals. Uh, it is jumping on heads. Oh, um, so Mario. mind control in a sense, like like brainwashing. So Mario. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know the infamous uh, Mario raccoon suit that allows you to brainwash the Goombas. No, I'm talking about Odyssey, bro. Wait. Is that Is that an Odyssey? <laughs> Yes, 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 Odyssey. <laughs> I was just like, I was just like, you're scraping my brain. Just like, I was, I was, happen? I was leaving that one fielded because I forgot about Odyssey. And as soon as I was halfway through my dumb raccoon joke, remember? I remembered it. But I was too committed to that to be like, oh, Odyssey. That's right. That that existed. Where the core mechanic was brainwashing enemies with a hat. You 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 just ran with that goof right off the fucking cliff into a fucking <laughs> pile of spikes that explode. Yep. So the infamous raccoon Mario. Uh, but yes. Yeah, so the core mechanic is brainwashing. You jump on 
I keep calling it brainwashing, but you don't brainwash. Like, you just mind control. Uh, but the two are sort of synonymous. Um, so you you jump on the enemy's head, and then you control the enemy when you're on their head. Like, you can move them left and right. You can make them interact with things. And they're, like, things you can't interact with as a weird little slime ball. So it, it's how you, like, get through doors and stuff. You you open the door with the enemy that you mind, mind control. Um and it's interesting because all of the lore pretty much is contained in this sort of like contextual environmental storytelling sense Ooh. in that like most of the stuff you find out is from the things you read of the mind controlled enemies because every time you mind control an enemy you can also read their last thoughts. And so you you get these little pieces of stories that happen to all these individual people in the game and that like lets you build an idea of what happened in this world. So it's really interesting. There's there's each each person that you read their mind uh it has has something else to say like there's there's this one species of creatures that are like these weird little potatoes with spikes on their back and every single one of them was a child in their previous life. Oh. So yeah, so you you read their minds and all their last thoughts were like no, mommy, don't let me take them away, or I'll gladly go in place of my brother if he can stay, or things like that. Like, really fucked up. Like, these people were experimenting on children and turning them into these weird plant spiky potato creatures. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's fascinating because you find out that, like, that's what was happening in this world, is that, like... Is that what your character is? Your character's just this weird slimy ball. But, like, um, is the slimy ball made from, like, these sort of weird test subjects that, like, went wrong? I I don't know. I, I didn't get to a point where they explain your character's existence. You just kind of, okay. like, pop into it. You were created, I guess, sort of ethereally by the main, like, eh, protagonist that you're trying to save. But, yeah, so this whole world is is the scientists were experimenting with this, like, plant. and And the plant ended up turning people into these weird zombie things and so you find out that like the scientists were pushed too hard to like weaponize it sort of and it started to get loose and then everyone started to get infected by it and so the higher-ups just started like leaving and abandoning all these people there as they were being infected and overran by this plants these spores that turned them all into these zombie things uh, it, it's it's fascinating. It's really cool. There's so much hidden contextual lore that, like, it. it yeah. I eat that stuff up, man. Like that. That's one of the reasons why I really enjoy uh, the Dark Souls games, and also why I really enjoyed Hollow Knight because they're kind of good for similar reasons. Yeah, I I love these games that like they're they're not upfront. They just sort of let you experience the game and. And you as the player have to piece everything together in this, like, giant puzzle. I, I feel like a, a conspiracy theorist in my head just, like, connecting <laughs> strings as I go along the game. And I'm like, oh, this person referenced this, and then this guy over here said this. So, like, those two people were connected in this way. But, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's fascinating. You know, the um, reading minds mechanic also kind of reminds me of a game. Have you ever played The World Ends With You? No. It's a game for the DS that was an RPG uh, that was very fun and very stylish. Uh, but one of the mechanics in it is that, like, you are like a ghost that kind of lives in like this uh, kind of Shibuya district of Japan, and you're trying to uh, get back to life. 
but while you're kind of running around fulfilling all of these death game things, you can also read people's minds and you get like one sentence quips and you can wow. sort of like use that to sort of like fulfill, fill in like sort of lore about like the world around you and sort of like different local happenings and rumors and stuff like That's that. That's exactly what this game is like. Yep. Yeah. That's a mechanic that I think is really cool. I really enjoy it when games do that. I I, I do too. I I think it's a great way to open up that space of just like a a single character's perspective is so limited. Mm -hmm. And and so you you see instead of like one character's perspective figuring it out everything, you you get a thousand perspectives piecing it together from all angles. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Explore yeah, so this, I mean, this this game, and, and beyond, like, the great storytelling, it, it does a good job, like, talking about um, how how far we're willing to push science in our society, and is is the, the scientific understanding and development and advancement worth risking our lives and dying for, and, you know, should we experiment on children, which thankfully is, like, a hard no in, in most societies nowadays, because it's god it tore me apart hearing the fucking child's like cries as as like they were turning into these creatures and and like their naivety and their confusion because there there were some that you'd read their mind and it was like my back hurts so much it keeps bleeding and i can't lay on my back i have to sleep on my stomach now referencing the the spikes that were starting to grow out of their back as they became these potato people jeez i want to play that yeah it's it's a really great look at some of those themes and ideas behind the the price of progress and and how much we're willing to sacrifice or destroy to to advance ourselves cool would you recommend it um i i think it's it's a great environmental and storytelling game and so if you're if you're really into those kinds of games and you you like games like portal and such then I think it's it's a phenomenal pickup and it's a great sort of uh, rudimentary puzzle game. Um, I personally found the difficulty a little lacking. I I like games that that really challenge me, um, as as we've heard from my talk about turn based games. Uh, so I I personally was having a really hard time like getting into it because it, I was playing it very passively. I wasn't really engaged with it. But if if you're looking for a very low key sort of chillax game that you can kind of play passively and just take in the world and the story and everything, then I think it's a fantastic game for that. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Well, you know, it's the boys. It's time for the boys. It's we the, the boys. boys. The boys. The boys are here. Oh, we've wait, made it. Wait, wait, wait. That's me cracking open a cold one. I'll let it. I'll let it. I'll let it that in. So it's 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 better than you did it. Okay. 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 Yeah. Give, I'll, give I'll me some real one. post sounds in there. Yeah. Okay. So, boys, we're here. It's time to talk Warhammer 40k Gladius. Uh, has a subtitle. What is the subtitle? I'm gonna cut this part out. The subtitle of Gladius being Relics of War. And I definitely didn't have to pause to look that up. All right. <laughs> he paused. <laughs> he paused. I don't know how no, much of it, no. I don't know how much of it he's editing out, but we no. were just sitting here for a good six minutes in silence. You hush boy. <laughs> Speaking of boys. 
this is a game for fans of 4X uh, strategy games, uh, such as Civilization. Uh, like, Civilization 5 and 6 specifically is what I'm sort of going off of myself. And if you've never seen or heard of 4X, or you just need a reminder, what it means, what it stands for, are the 4Xs Explore, Expand, Exploit, and Exterminate. Uh, I'm so glad you explained that for all the viewers out there that didn't know what that meant. I didn't know. I felt like a dumbass. Also, I, you didn't I, know. I definitely, you, I knew that already, 100%. N none of us knew. Hopefully everyone learned something. <laughs> but I'm so glad that all of our viewers now know. <laughs> Sorry to out out you there. I didn't, I, I, okay, anyway. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, uh, it, it's like Civilization, but if you if you took out all of the other ways to win, like that game, you can win like culturally, you can win sort of economically, or, or, or like recently they added like tourism and stuff like that. Uh, but in this game, um, you win just by combat. It's the only way to win. Uh, it reminds me of games kind of like Risk and Stratego, where there's this element of uh, Fog of War, where you don't always know what other people are doing, or whether they're assembling uh, things. But it's also kind of uh, like the Age of Empires sort of thing, where you start out very small and you end up growing very, very big. Um, it Because it's turn-based, uh, also, I just, I go hard on these, like, turn-based 4X games. I uh, Civilization V was actually my very first PC game on Steam. Uh, that's a fun little fact about me is that I, I really, really enjoy those games and I can just easily lose hours and hours and hours playing that late into the night. And that happened with me with this game. It was like, oh, suddenly it's 3 a.m. And I, <laughs> I didn't realize because I hadn't looked at the clock in like hours. Um, it has a somewhat lacking variety of tribes to choose from. But even though that is the case, uh, each sort of uh, tribe is very different from the other. Uh, and they have to gather different resources in order to sort of sustain themselves. Uh, for example, the humans have to sort of worry about food and morale, whereas the uh, Necrons only have to worry about uh, ore and their influence, where they can heal themselves with influence and teleport themselves back to their city. Uh, and then, like, the Space Marines have this sort of singular city that they uh, only kind of keep as their main city. Uh, and they sort of have these resource-gathering towers that they have to defend uh, that can gather resources from around the map and send them back to the capital. And, and it's, like, all very steeped in this Warhammer lore, which I am not well-versed in at all. Uh, I already I, play Magic. I can't do Warhammer too, dude. Like I don't know if you've ever seen how expensive Warhammer is on, as a tabletop game. Like, holy shit! Those miniatures get like two hundred dollars a piece. Like, if you do Warhammer, it's like a thing, you know. Like, it's like a hobby that is like if a whole. If you do Warhammer, thing. it is your one hobby you get. <laughs> that being said, though. One of the cool things that uh, Warhammer does as an intellectual property, which I don't know if, if you've known this, they have like a shotgun approach to inte their intellectual property. They will license their intellectual property out to basically anyone. For real? But, yeah, but but they'll only license out small parts of it. So if you want to do 
a game set on Gladius that is about the relics of time, then you can do that. If you want to do, and that's what this game is. If you want to do a game that is just about the orcs, that's a tower defense game, you could do that. Uh, that's just like a mobile game. Like they, they will literally license out to anyone. If you if you wanted to do a licensed Warhammer improv show, you could probably get the rights to do that. Probably. Hmm. So maybe it's time to get into Warhammer. <laughs> the only thing is about Warhammer is that everything is very bleak and everything is about conflict and war and extermination. Uh, it's honestly, it feels like no one is really the good guy. And that's why I don't feel bad playing as the really bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Necrons are my favorite just because of how much mobility they had and like the ability that they could kind of be scouting and then immediately teleport their people back to home. But the orcs were cool too, because they built up influence by fighting people. And so they had to basically be constantly fighting, but all of their fighters were, even though they were very strong, only melee. So, whereas, like, all the other races have, like, these super strong ranged attacks, uh, the orcs just gotta get right up close and smackety-smack. And that means triggering a lot of, like, overwatches and stuff like that. Uh, which, uh, I'm sure there's something that you have a lot of experience in in a game that we're gonna talk about in a second. XCOM. <laughs> <laughs> All, all of the different races are fun in their own right. I definitely enjoyed the Necrons the most. Probably Orcs uh, and Space Marines next, and Humans were the last, because they have very tiny, weak boys. They get more boys than everybody else. But, uh, God, they are just they are just weak. Um, and the Orcs, also, I forgot to mention, they're British as hell. They're, like, Cockney British. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and just, like, this sort of guttural... Uh, I, I can't even, like, give a good impression of it because I, I don't know enough uh, good lines. But, like, just the way that they talk, it's, like, almost hard to parse the language. And that makes it really, really fun to, to play as the orcs. <laughs> everything is really dumb. And they're all called boys, brain boys, hammo boys. <laughs> um, I wish that I had more factions, uh, especially in comparison to the other factions that you can have in, like, larger 4X games like Civilization. Um, I just realized, did I never tell the name of the studio for this one? We didn't mention the company name because we're goobers. The name of the company is Proxy Studios. Because they also did a 4X game called Pandora before this, and I think that's probably, like, where they got the, their tech, tech for this video game. And what I think happened is, kind of to bounce back ADD-like to my earlier point, is, like, they probably had an unsuccessful 4X strategy game that they then asked the 4, 40K licensing people, like, can we make a, a, a 4X game that is... Can we slap your skin on the mechanics we've already made? Exactly, and that's what they did, I think. And, like, respect to them, because they did a pretty damn good job. Like, there's not uh, as much here as, like, a, a Civilization game, so I feel like it's lacking in terms of the sustainability of the content. But there's three DLC Civilizations that you can get. Uh, they are a little bit expensive, but I might pick them up on sale, because honestly, uh, I feel like with all of the different factions, this would be a really, really fun game to just chill out and relax to for a bunch of hours. Yeah, that, that that's... That's my kind of uh, opinion about that. Anyway, remember that, like, Overwatch thing that I said earlier? Let's get back to that. Uh, yeah, so it's a sort of lane-based shooter in which you can counterplay against your opponents by selecting different characters at any yeah. point. You know, I I'm partial to Winston. Uh, I like Junkrat. But, yeah. uh, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> I I started laughing at how dumb that bit was, and then I think David just started. <laughs> well, because like it was a dumb segue to begin with. Uh, uh, I was just like, remember that thing? <laughs> so XCOM Two, a game by Fire Access Games and Feral Inter- Interactive. Uh, which I think is a studio that focuses on, like, compatibility with Linux and Mac. I could be wrong. It's what it seemed like. But I think uh, FireAxis was the main developers here. And they also did the 40 different Sid Meier's games out there and the other XCOMs. Uh, Oh, no. They have a very uh, specific niche that they do. Um, And that's, like, top-down turn-based tactics games. Ar- Strategy, baby. Arguably, XCOM is the top-down turn-based tactics game. I mean, it has <laughs> defined the genre in ways that others have not. Most, you know, you describe a game as XCOM-like now, not top-down turn-based tactics game anymore. And, and that was since 2013, since that that the reboot came out. That this has been a game franchise though for a very long time. Uh, I don't even I don't know if it goes back to DOS like that early, but it. it... It's true, XCOM UFO Defense, as it was called in North America, was first released in 1994 for MS-DOS and Amiga, and also for the PlayStation in 1995, a year later. It's been around for a very long time, a presence in the sort of video game industry as like this tough-as-nails, hardcore game where like you can just lose your people forever. That's always been a thing. And it is, it is, it is tough. It is, I spent so many times restarting levels because the idea of death is existentially terrifying to me, so I could not lose my members. Uh, so I, I would <laughs> reload levels 40 times in a row and then just reposition someone by one square and hope they live this time. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of this game is just making rolls that, like, over time, the amount of time that you do it, it just eventually you're bound to fail you know you just have to fail the game has taught me you miss 98 percent of the chances you don't take because like <laughs> you miss exactly two percent of those 98 because two percent of the time even if it's a hundred you're still gonna fucking miss yeah uh this this game just like it 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 solidifies the idea that like statistics are not guarantees it is all just chance you know, 98% means 98%. It doesn't mean 100%. That was something that we talked about, like, as, like, it potentially relates to our real world right now with, like, COVID-19 and sort of the, the, the idea that, like, oh, maybe you only have, like, around a 2% chance to die. But so many people hear that and, like, well, I'm young. I have a really good chance to survive. I'm just going to take the chance and whatever happens, happens. And it's like, well, first off, you could spread it to other people, which that in itself is bad. But also, you're still taking that 2% chance. Yeah, like, 2, 2% is still arguably, like, probably more than you want to take in a lot of cases. Like, that, that is the, the thing. We, we as, like, humans are so inherently designed to, like, round up and, and, and sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, finish the spectrum, like, like draw that conclusion like we we see 98% and in our heads we go that is hi- that is a high enough statistic that i can assume it's 100% like we we make that assumption but you it's can't it is still only 98% you you look at 2% and you go oh that's only 2% i can assume that zero 
but the reality is, is it's still 2%. You know, it, it, it it's insane. And, and like, th- there are times I found in this game that I was like, well, it's a 46% chance to hit. That 46% is worth it in this scenario. Like, if, if I don't make this hit, my, my teammate dies. So I, I just have to take the chance. I have to take the shot. Like, it's, it's not going <sighs> to get better. It's not suddenly going to be 80%. And even if it was 80%, that's still pretty low. I have gotten into such stressful situations in this game. I, I've not, not actually played the second game. I've played the first game. And uh, in that game, uh, most of my friends died. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, I tried, like, re- re- redoing it a bunch. But, like, after a certain point, it just becomes tedious. Yeah, I, and... I was getting so frustrated at constantly restarting because, like, I I just can't accept the loss. But that kind of got to the point where I had certain characters that had survived just the most insane dumb odds that I never thought that they would ever survive. And that leaves me with these sort of water cooler stories that, like, I tell people about to this day. Like, about how uh, my my friend Marshall was, like, literally just a fucking tank everywhere he went with a shotgun. He would walk in, bam, everybody's dead. And he would dodge every shot, he would walk in with the the most health, and he would never go down. Every single time I replayed that game, he would always be that character. For some reason, whenever I remade him and I restarted the game, he would continually be that guy who was like the point person who was totally badass and took every chance that would never work out but worked out anyway. And like, for some reason, like, that just made me want to play way more. (laughs) See, I just gotta (laughs) accept that in the game that like, these some of these characters are gonna die and it just like... It was hard enough for me to get past the forced civilian death in, like, the first missions that I could do nothing about, and I was so helpless that, like, that was a hard enough barrier for me to pass, that, like, willingly (sighs) sacrificing these people on my team in order to move forward, it just, it's so hard for me to, like, as a person, accept. So many of the battles in XCOM are losing battles, uh, especially in the first one, where, like, you put out one fire and then two more spring up and it's like you just can't save everyone yeah you just can't so 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 to spring off that idea of the first one right the first one um from what i gather i never played the first one i've only played the second one so we've got <laughs> yeah. both halves of the story uh but from what our lovely david tells me it was about this alien incursion um and they they sort of basically infiltrate and take over the world in a sense after they invade and the whole game is trying to fight them back and and keep them at bay, right? Yeah, and it basically is goes from like normal business to like the first invasion to like the whole world is invaded. Yeah, so this game picks up where that one leaves off and and the world has been taken over by these aliens. Like they they are fully in the governments. They are running it. They're walking around in the open now because everyone just accepts that they're here, but but they they control the predominant like they control the Earth's media and their governments and, and in turn control the people because of it. Um, so so you are forming a resistance. Like, you're building this coalition to fight back against these aliens and, and try to take back your planet. And, and I find this, like, super interesting... Uh, we, we kind of talked about this with Hitman last time and, and this idea of building a resistance and what that means and how we do that as people... And, like, I I played this game, and it reminded me of the LGBTQ plus movement in in the sense that, 
it's it, it is a it is a resistance. It is a movement built on the foundation of all these other smaller movements. Like like they they took all these people that were having issues and they brought them together in one group and said like we can fight better together than we fight alone. And that is the whole premise of this game. Like you are you are flying from like continent to continent making contact with small resistance groups so that you can fight as a larger group to to break break free and and get past this enemy because as as small individual groups you aren't you aren't enough to take down a collective force so you have to collect you have to congregate you have to make that resistance and that movement be more than just a singular entity it it, it can't just be the l movement or the g movement or the b movement because they'll never get enough traction alone they will always be pushed down so you have to come together to fight back Mm. so it's it's really interesting and and there, there there was this great point that they made too and that like the the majority of the people will never know that they need to fight back because because they are in doctrine in that society they they already live with the aliens the aliens already tell them that it's safe and fine and okay and and as far as they're aware they're fine they're not being hurt they're not being you know their life isn't being impacted by these aliens and so you'll never gain the majority to help in a fight like they, they they will never be part of the movement because they just don't understand they're not a part of that world so you have to bring the minority together to form a majority it's interesting nice yeah you, you know actually this is a bit of a, a tangent but did you know that they actually just came out with a sequel to XCOM? yeah very recently i think under quarantine oh nice that's awesome it, it's like a smaller sub sequel it's called Chimera Squad. It's like uh, yes, I heard Joe. of that. Yes, yeah. I I will probably have to check that out if I ever get past my hangups on death. But like, <laughs> but no, the thing is, is that this is the game to play because oh. uh, there's no death in this one. Oh, there's no death at all. Then that's the one it, for it, me. Forget seeing yeah, a therapist um, and working on my issues. Yeah, no, like the, you, your your guys get injured, but that's it. But it takes place like after XCOM two, where like you have now reintegrated humans and aliens into society together, and now there's like a Chimera squad of both aliens and uh, humans working together to sort of go in and like do these like terrorist infiltration missions. That would be and so you sort fun. Of have, I kept getting so this, frustrated like, at the alien abilities because they're so broken and strong. And I was like, I want that on my team. Why can you grapple me and attack me in the same turn? That's insane. Yeah, so you basically get that in the Chimera Squad video game. And also you get, get like this breaching mechanic that's really important. Where you like choose different people to like enter a, a, a tactical situation from different locations. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it's more mission-based and much more casual, and like I said, it's sort of like a Sunday morning G.I. Joe sort of a, a vibe. Which I like, because this XCOM, it is it is a lot to manage. Like, you are... It, it is beyond just the top-down tactics, too. You are managing a shuttle in which you're, like, you're developing research projects, you're you're managing your equipment and your gear, you're, you're tending to your wounded soldiers. It, like, you're playing Fallout Vaults while also playing uh a top-down tactical game it's insane <laughs> there's just so much going no. on straight up when fallout shelter came out I, I was literally just like shelter thank you not vaults <laughs> yeah i know it's fine uh, but when like, like that, that game first came out i was literally just like this is just like the base building from xcom but a whole game that's exactly what it is that is exactly what it is yeah so i i totally get what you mean there. yep 
fantastic game. It's it's a genre defying game. Like it 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 is culturally significant. So like I, it's a good game to play. Absolutely play this game. E- even yeah. even if it's just for the historical context of what it has done for the genre of and and video games as a whole, like it's worth playing. Just know you you will suffer sometimes. You'll suffer a lot. Get used to the ideas of death. We're all just flesh bags, and we're gonna die eventually. We shouldn't push our own insecurities about dying on other people and and into our game space. We should just become yeah. okay with it and know our own mortality and accept it and be willing to let the people around us die as well and not try to save everyone because we're just one person and no matter how much of a difference we want to make in the end we're just all going to end up feeding worms speaking of feeding worms with rotting corpses (laughs) Warsaw is a video game about war who would have guessed with that kind of title although actually it's not necessarily just about war it's also about the the place of poland in in a very specific period of time in history uh specifically during the warsaw uprising during uh nazi occupation in world war ii around four or five years into uh the occupation after the ghetto uprising which if you didn't know was another uprising that happened the same year earlier that was just the Jewish population as they were ousted from their communities in the ghettos. And they had to uh, fight uh, as a sort of allied uh, incursion along with the uh, underground government. But in this game, you play as the underground Polish government in their final last ditch effort to try to fight back against Hitler's Reich. And it is historically a losing battle. They, They lose the uprising. They don't succeed. And you feel that in this game. like You're telling me they didn't defeat the entire German army? No, they didn't even get Poland. Hmm. The Warsaw, the, the capital, the one thing, the bastion of hope that they had left, that, that they could maybe just retake their capital, they couldn't even do that. Uh, it took 63 days, and uh, Poland goes from around a million people to around only around 200,000 in two and a half months. And this game kind of details that period in history uh, from more of a systemic angle rather than from a, an individual angle, although there are individual stories that are told through the systems. Uh, you were kind of told to gather resources on missions, uh, doing and completing different tasks, uh, also uh, doing random events, which... Uh, range from a whole bunch of different uh, possible things that could just end up happening to you randomly. Uh, you have to manage the attrition and morale of troops in between missions, uh, tr- strategically trying to choose uh, locations to manage the the loss of these two different values. So you you mentioned th- this game is a very like look at at this this historic war, like like a losing battle that actually happened in history. Do you feel like there there is merit for this kind of game as like an educational tool and like maybe as 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 people creating more games like this that like showcase the battles and showcase history in a more interactive uh manner does does this make history more digestible and understandable for you 
I thought that I had like a more palpable sense of the tension and the anxiety and the dread and like the hope and then the eventual despair, like the emotional journey that you kind of go through. It, it, it taught me more about like the period than I felt like watching a movie or a documentary would. And that made me kind of consider like, is this game a documentary? Because the things that happen in it, you know, probably didn't factually happen. But a lot of it is based on research of things that definitely did happen. Uh, for example, one of the sort of recruitable party members that I got in my party, and by the way, all of the members of your party that you get can be injured and have to stay off the field to recover in between missions, uh, and also can die like an XCOM. <laughs> so I did a lot of saves coming to keep everyone alive until the end. <laughs> But uh, the first character that I got, besides like the three that you start out with, uh, is uh, a character by the name of Franek. And he was uh, just a boy, like maybe 11 or 12 years old. And he had a grenade and he was one of my most valuable troops for a large majority of this game. Uh, because of the way that the injury system works out. Uh, a bunch of my people would be injured and they would be left out of the fight and the only people that I would have left are like citizen recruits with only two abilities as opposed to the four abilities that you normally have. And they're like kind of shit abilities. <laughs> and, and so I had like three of those guys or maybe even just two at one point and then Frenek uh, leading the charge at the front of the party because that's the only place where his grenades can fire from is directly at the front. I put a child in danger. Because I just decided that I needed to continue the war effort and beat the game. And, like, a lot of this game made me question whether or not what I was doing was actually worth it. At a very early point in the game, there was a random event where I ran into an old lady who just asked me the question, is all of this worth it? As she stood watching her house burn down. And, like... I th at the time, I said, like, yes, yes, it's worth it. It has to be worth it. But, like, the other two options that I had were no and I don't know. And I kind of feel like I don't know what I would have put now. I might have put the I don't know. Like, Well, yeah, it's that idea of, like, if, if they never fought, like, it was a losing battle. They didn't win in the end. So if they had just not fought, they would have been alive still. Like, all would have been fine. But but at the same time, like, like that would mean sort of conceding to the Nazi regime and giving everyone over. Like, the, the, the problem is that the uprising, historically, I did a little bit of research, uh, like, the, the reason why the Nazis, part of the reason anyway, why they went through and just murdered so many people in this time and so many people fled Poland during this time uh, was because the uprising and all the fighting had started and the only way that they thought that they could quell the uprising was to just kill as many people as they could and torch their homes and buildings. 85% of the buildings in Warsaw were destroyed because of this. And, like... That was to scare people to just n not resist. Mm -hmm. And it makes me like, like, I want to say that you should resist because I feel like I would if I was there at the time. But like, but, but seeing it like, like hindsight, seeing it from hindsight, like if, if they had just accepted as, as shitty as, as objectively shitty of a thing that is to say, but if they had just accepted it, 
it it would have been vastly different for them. They they wouldn't have died. They wouldn't have like it it, it would have been a an entirely different historical look at this event. None of the characters in this game ever meet a nice end. Even like if you make them get to the end of the game, a vast majority of them have very grisly sort of deaths. Franek, the child that I found after the war, uh, and he, oh, I should explain this. This was something that I was actually leading to earlier was that, uh, this is a bit of a spoiler for Franek's line, but it's kind of a random thing that I found anyway. Um, I found his brother in the district of Vola. And I found out through research that there was a massacre that actually happened in this district, in the Vola district, and his brother was there. And I had to explain to Franek, like this 11, 12-year-old kid, like, your brother's dead. Like, the person who you were, like, working to try to find after this is all over, like, they're gone. And so he went to an orphanage, and then after he was just exploring and being a kid, he just stumbled on a bomb and died. And, like, that's the end of Franek. You know? And, and like, another character uh, by the name of Jan uh, is a character who is this, like, mute, deaf sniper who uh, is really helpful in the game. But uh, after you finish the game, you find out that he went to an internment camp and was never found again. You know, another character... Uh, one of the main characters, and the only one that I'll spoil out of the main characters, is this kind of like Aaron Yeager type protagonist dude who just is really bold and straightforward and strong-headed. And he ends the game in the forest, constantly fighting, never ending in his search for this fight against the Nazis. And this is a symbolic of a real group of people that did exist called the Cursed Soldiers who, uh, after the Polish government fell, continued to fight in the forest until uh, they met their grisly end. And it's just, like, so cool to see all of this portrayed in a, in a sort of video game. I, I should talk about the video game aspect of this, do you think? I'm talking a lot about, like, the historical aspect of it, because I enjoy the history of it so fucking much. I mean, that it sounds like that's what, like, the meat of this game. But the thing is, is that the meat of you playing this game is, like, a little bit different. Like, that's sort of a lot of stuff that kind of came up as like, like that's the sort of historical context and what you kind of learn a little bit from playing, but also from ex external research after, you know, playing it. Um, a lot of the game is like just turn-based sort of combat, very similar to Darkest Dungeon, uh, but there's two lanes instead of just one and there's no insanity mechanic or anything like that. Um, and you have like limited ranges for abilities where you have to be uh, standing in a certain place uh, in order to activate the abilities. Uh, and you can definitely save scum. I definitely had to in order to get some of like, the really harder enemies. Uh, like you fight uh, German artillery barrages and stuff like that. And it gets really intense. Huh. Um, but in the end, uh, it's the same thing with the first XCOM game. Uh, where you are putting out one fire and two more spring up. You know, it's a losing battle. And you can't win. And it's really interesting to see games sort of explore that idea of something that you really can't win. And just you struggle against for as long as you can, but ultimately there there is an end. And that end is not the end that you probably were wanting, but it's the end that happened. 
winning the game it's... isn't necessarily the same thing as like winning. No, it doesn't feel like winning either. <laughs> I felt kind of bad, honestly, but I did kind of want to play again. Not that much because it was kind of grindy and at a certain point I was kind of done with it. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like I got to the end at around like six hours and that felt just about perfect for this kind of game where it didn't outstay its welcome. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I feel like if you are willing to save scum and cheat death and just kind of get to the end, uh, you can probably have a really enjoyable time just in like one or two sittings with this guy. Uh, otherwise, there is a decent amount of replayability as well when you go back, because when you go back, you can choose any of the different survivors that you've found before uh, as your starting party. So oh. you can have a brand new starting party of a whole bunch of new survivors and a whole bunch of new encounters to go find and different unique stories. So I feel like there is a lot to this game. Uh, it's not a documentary. I, I think that, like, I, I I think about this game in the context of God of War, and, like, that game's not a documentary. Like, but you learn a lot of things from playing God of War about Greek mythology that then you can do more research on later. Mm-hmm. And, like, the Codex definitely helps in that respect. So I feel like, while it's not, its purpose is not to educate, it does that while also entertaining. Which I think is awesome, and I think like it's it, it's a disconnect that I have, and a, and like a personal distaste I have for history and and the way we teach it and talk about it is that like it is entirely disconnected from the sort of emotional and and uh, consequential aspects of it. You know, we we look at it objectively as facts on paper as something that happened, but the 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 way you describe this and the way you talk about this is it sort of gives you another lens to look at it that also makes it sort of emotional and impactful and and you as the player feel some of the struggles and some of the you you have empathy for the events and not just a data recollection of what happened it's there it's no longer just words on paper it's putting the humanity back into the history for me exactly and i think that's so important when we teach and talk about history is like the humanity of it and and understanding and having empathy and feeling these events and not just talking about them otherwise we don't actually know what the impact was like at that point it's just stories in a book speaking of stories in a book speaking of stories in a book it it, it d- d- is is the swords d- d- does that game have like a, a storybook did i get that right does it well, have a storybook well it follows aesthetic? the traditional fables arc the hero's it, journey the, one might say the... so the storybook is be told amongst the swords <laughs> of ditto our next game in our podcast developed by one bit studio who also made nothing else this is their one shot wonder this oh, is their shit. okay yeah, this is their load. It's all out there for us to see. Uh, they just blew their load. Okay. They, yep, all over, and it it's a it's a it's a nice wad. Um, is, it, is it a good load? <laughs> nice and pungent. <laughs> you know, maybe a little too much protein in this batch, but okay, uh, okay. It's a it's a it's a Zelda like adventure with some really interesting roguelike elements. I I thought it was a very sort of refreshing take on a genre that has been beaten to death since like fucking 1981 uh don't quote me on that i don't know when the first original like top-down adventure game came out probably before (laughs) 1981 i'm quoting him on that
The actual release date for The Legend of Zelda was 1986, although the very first top-down adventure-like game may very well be the Atari Game Adventure, which was released in 1979. So, so it, 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 it's a very fresh take on this sort of Zelda-esque adventure, uh, and it, 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 it plays to the tropes of Zelda in this very charming and fun, sort of self-aware kind of meta-narrative. It's great, like... You wake up washed up on the shore and, and you get the classic, I don't have time to explain, run to the city and get the sword. Uh, so so you run to the city, you get the sword. The, the first cycle, it's hilarious. Uh, minor spoilers, but it happens in like the first 30 seconds of the game. So uh, you, you pick up the sword, you go to, and, and the, the, the incompetent fucking tinkle companion you have with you, this dung beetle, uh, just immediately you pick up the sword and and you're imbued with the power of Ditto because the sword is the real hero. It's not the character you're playing. And and he goes like, all right, this is it. Let's go fight the final boss. And so you immediately go to the final boss who then proceeds to one-shot you during the cutscene. Uh, <laughs> he, he just goes, I'm not having this. I'm winning this time and kills you. Uh, and, and so you find out, like, this is a cycle. It's a repetitive cycle. Every hundred years, a new champion is born, reclaims the sword, and tries to kill the evil to lift Ditto of the curse. Um... And and this cycle repeats. Sometimes the evil wins the cycle, and the the land is cursed to be ruled over by evil for a hundred years. And sometimes the hero wins, and the land is is safe and and happy and in peace for a hundred years. Uh, and and the gameplay reflects this. You play through one cycle, and that's it. So you get to level once you hit level six, you have a day to go fight the final boss, uh, or a day to prepare before you have to fight the final boss. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, hmm. And so you fight the final boss, you either succeed, or she kills you. Uh, if she kills you, then evil reigns for another hundred years, you wake up and you repeat the cycle. Uh, if you succeed, then peace reigns for a hundred years, you wake up as a new hero and you repeat the cycle. Um, and every cycle, the the map is randomly generated. Like, it keeps specific elements, like certain dungeons that spawn, but it's all randomly generated where they spawn and everything. Uh, the town gets a, a randomly generated name and everything. So that's kind of the roguelike elements of it. It's really interesting. There's a win condition in the game. And it's, you have to, you have to basically be successful four cycles in a row. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so you get, you get like a, a piece of the avatar that you take to a special area. And once you get three of them, you unlock a secret ending to the game that, that actually breaks the cycle and, and lifts the town of the curse. Uh, and it's really interesting because you find out within it that it's the the curse is just an illusion. The two, the evil character and the little, little dung beetle guy that was helping you the whole time, um, you found find out that those two were in cahoots together to create this artificial world because you, the player, were the creator of this world and you abandoned it as soon as things got hard. So like like shit started to go down and and you just you dipped out and left the world to just writhe in chaos and and get destroyed because you didn't want to deal with it. And so they created this artificial simulation of of fighting good versus evil, of you being the hero to save the land from evil so that you could could regain your humanity and empathy for these people and you would come back and actually fight for them and and set the set the place free basically. Um, so it, it's really interesting. It's this idea of like the whole time they're preaching that it's fate and destiny and, and that the evil and good must conflict and fight. 
But in reality, it's just the simulation designed to give you, the person in control, the empathy to understand what you're actually doing to these people and and stop being a dick and help them. So are you telling me that this is like the Truman Show and Groundhog Day? <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of. That's exactly what it's like. Um, <laughs> and it's it, it's so good. It's, it's this fucking just like refreshing look of like, well... Fate only exists as long as we're willing to pretend exists. Like, we, we, we just buy into this idea that it's a cycle and good versus evil and all this is going to ha- happen because it's fated to happen and it'll continue to repeat itself. But it it only exists because we buy into it. Like, th- the reality is, is like, we have the power to control and change things. But, but we have to, in, in order to fix the system, like, you have to have empathy for the people it's affecting. It's It's really interesting. I like that. I like games that are all about empathy because I feel like video games are one of the best methods for sort of talking about empathy as like a, a, a symbol and a subject and a theme. Yeah, because you as like you have direct control. So like it, 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 it it's a very good. God, I just said it like six times in a row there. Um. <laughs> Yo, it's cool. Uh, I, I have a bad habit of repeating words when I'm on mic. It's terrible. Uh, hey, but, I do it too. It's fine. <laughs> you know, I think it's better and more charming than saying uh and um a lot. But I, that's can, what I do. We we can we can discuss speech habits off mic. <laughs> <laughs> we can do this later. <laughs> um, it's it's this really like I I I agree though that like empathy is so well translated when you give people control because they have control and so like they're they're forced to make the decisions and even if even if the decisions are artificial and they have no choice they're still forced to make them like i always recall back to the call of duty game press f to pay respects (laughs) <laughs> no almost no player in their right mind probably would have walked by that and if that was an optional choice would have pressed f most of them probably would have just walked by like whatever i'm not gonna pay respects to this guy but because you actively force the player to do it it becomes a big moment in the game and it became a big moment culturally because like it, it was a weird thing to make players do to like force them to pay respects to this dead guy that is an artificial representation of something on a video game yeah man that is i oh, mean that's such a true and, and strange connection and, and like particularly about why that is funny in the first place like i think that kind of draws to a more real sort of side of that yeah absolutely i i, I think it's fascinating and i think like empathy translates so well when you give people just like Brunt, blunt control to do whatever the heck they want um and and even i i thought it was really fascinating too because even without the secret ending the game is just like a good look at the ideas of like a a, a broken like corrupt uh system and the ideas of that like yeah evil evil is gonna win sometimes it it's just gonna happen like you you mm. can't win every battle and every once in a while you're gonna die on the final boss fight and evil will take over but it's not an excuse to stop fighting back because your next life a hundred years from now you're 
artificially in, in the sense of the game, not in like next life in real life. Um, right. But... <laughs> in, in real life, it's like two seconds. Yeah, it, it's like it's like ten years. It's depending on where you're at. One would argue an election cycles four to eight years. Um, <laughs> okay. Like <laughs> you, you, you still have to continue to fight back. Like e- even though, e- evil may have won the battle, but it hasn't won the war. So, just going back to the game for one second, something that I've been curious about, because we do this a lot where we philosophize and then we forget I, about the game. I'm a really bad uh, quasi-philosopher. My degree's no, in philosophy, am... basically, so... I mean, yeah, that's all that a theater degree is. You do a lot of writing. Uh... <laughs> is this like Binding of Isaac? Not even close. No. Uh... No. The, the gameplay is traditional, like, Zelda gameplay. So it's okay. So it's more like you're getting items and you're acquiring things, and you have a sword, and you're kind of like a hundred going on that adventure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's the grand adventure. You wake up in a weird place. You 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 get a sword. You use the sword to break pots to get money to buy toys that let you. Is it randomized? Um. The so the world is randomized. Okay. Yeah, and and that's that's the kind of roguelike elements of it of like the repeated cycles after death. And and the world is randomly generated, but every world that's generated, there's always a city. There's always the the shrine that you put the boss's items at, or whatever. Um, there's always two dungeons that give you the tools you need to get to the two dungeons that contain the anchors of the boss. And when you kill the anchors of the boss, it weakens the boss. Um, mm. So so there's always those core elements, but the rest of it is just like randomly generated, and their location in the map is randomly generated. Okay. Yeah. Do you do you like it? Do I Would like you play it? more? Um. So I found the game. I use this a lot, but it's true. <laughs> that's a lot of. Uh, that's a lot of. <laughs> I found the game too easy, and I don't know. I. I like. I like a challenge. I. It, it was a very easy game to just spam X and kill all the enemies. It was. It was a. A, a dodge based action game, but the. The mechanics weren't tight enough. The fights weren't hard enough. Like, it was very much dodge one attack, swing three times. Dodge one attack, three swing three times. Dodge one attack, th- swing three times. Um, there, there were some really cool things they were doing. Like, some of the bosses had, like, intricate mechanics that you actually had to play with. Like, standing on a stool to charge a thing to make the boss vulnerable. Um, so there were some cool aspects but most of the fights were just kind of like reskinned hack and slash just just dodge one attack swing three times you know and it just it wasn't challenging but it it it's a very interesting and unique unique take on on this genre that i think makes it very charming and the humor is is super charming and so i i don't think it's not worth playing but you're not going to like get it on sale. Like if it's $2, I'd pick it up for that, but I, and I'm probably mm. not going to go back to the game or, or get it from a humble bundle. Oh, that's an idea. That novel. <laughs> Whoa, wait a second. <laughs> well, you know what game is certain to give you a heck of a challenge? Oh, is this, is this conversation going to make me hoarse? <laughs> no, it's going to make you hoarse. God, that was such a shitty joke. Okay. <laughs> um, so, Horace, uh, this is a game by Paul Hellman. And also, uh, Sean, 
Scraplehorn. Uh, he's, I think, there more as, like, help, because at the very beginning of the game, in big, bold letters, it does say, a Paul Hellman game. Uh, <laughs> I actually think that he's there because there's, like, some semi-3D aspects to it, and, and the game that Sean made was, like, a sort of poorly received horror game, uh, which... <sighs> we'll get to that. So, this game is a lot. It is, uh, as I would describe it, the Forrest Gump of Super Meat Boy-style precision platformers. It has so much stuff. I, I Maybe it was, like, after just having so many, like, kind of short but interesting platformers, like Gris and and The Hex and, and just... just I, I expected shorter. <laughs> but this is like a 20 to 30 hour game if you want to get everything like and i gave myself a day and a half <laughs> to play this game so literally uh, the, up until literally minutes before we started recording for this podcast i was playing this game just tearing my hair out trying to beat some of its later stages um so it's this is to kind of go back a little bit this is a, a Mario Bros. style platformer uh, with a gravity mechanic as the sort of central hook. Uh, your character gets, though, a lot of different upgrades, including like a Yoshi flutter kick. There's really like a lot of different influences that this game pulls on. It references things constantly and wears its references on its sleeve. If you go to like the Horus's room in the game, uh, there's like a whole bunch of like different video game consoles and like uh movie posters uh of of things and it's like all re referential of things in the in the real world and it kind of tells you i think also a little bit about probably paul hellman and uh just the sort of game that he uh wanted to make in the world that he wanted to make because this is definitely paul hellman's game this is like paul hellman's baby from what i can tell uh there's just so much to because this is like his only game for one but just like there's so many different smaller aspects of this game, like little mini games or things that they throw at you. There's a rhythm game segment, a shmup segment. There are sports mini games that turn into things that you actually have to do for the main story. There's an entire arcade, which that, you know, goes along with a whole bunch of different mini games that you can just do if you want. Um, but it's all told from this uh, perspective of this robot uh, from the future reflecting on his past events uh, and it kind of goes into this uh, whole diorama <laughs> deal of, like, uh, war, robots, life, death, ex existentialism. Uh, it's really, really great with the writing. Uh, it has actually around, like, four and a half hours of cutscenes, from what I can tell on YouTube, just from looking at, like, the movie version of this. Uh, Yahtzee Croshaw said it uh, pretty well when he said in his review of this game, although he didn't beat it, uh, like a programmer's first... Com she said something along the lines of that this was like a programmer's first commercial release, that they had to pack every bit of fluff that they had to... that they had worked on before, that they just retrofitted that kind of stuff and put it into the game. That's what it feels like is probably happened, but I don't mean to, that is necessarily like an insult. I think this is like a really, really special game. Uh, there's just a bunch of small mechanics that may seem insignificant that are brought back and elaborated on uh but just as many times they throw away mechanics and never use them again for the rest of the game 
and, and, and it feels just in, it, insane for that reason. Like, it's just a journey that you're going on with so much shit that happens in it that I can't even tell you all of the shit because there's too much of it. It, it, it. There's this direct correlation of, like, the storyline in which you're just collecting a bunch of junk and, and the yeah. mechanics, which is just a collection of a bunch of junk almost. Yeah, no, like, literally, like, the, the game's sort of central purpose, I, I suppose... At the very beginning of the game, you're told uh, by an old man who's presumably your creator that your purpose in life is to collect one million pieces of junk. And so the whole game, you're kind of like low-key collecting as much junk as you can, which you can then sell to a salvage person and then make a ton of money, uh, which then you can use to buy things. But you could also just get like a respectable low-paying job as like a menial worker, and all of those games are uh, rhythm games. Like, <laughs> it, 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 there's so much here, dude. Okay, uh, I keep saying that, but, like, it just, it, it shocks me that this game kept surprising me with new things even very, very late into the game. Like, ten-ish hours into the game, suddenly it just dropped a Metroidvania on me. It's like, by the way, here is a dungeon in an auto map, go have fun. <laughs> and there's three bosses and do them in any order i think uh or at least there's the first one is any order maybe i don't know uh i did them in a very specific order because i wanted to get the water upgrade as soon as i could because then i went and grabbed as much scrap as i could from around the world and started becoming <laughs> a scrap collector uh <laughs> uh i'm at like chapter 20 i think there's like 25 chapters uh probably if i had to take a guess um, there was this quote that you have for a Zachtronics game that I didn't delete because I actually thought that it was so pertinent to this as well, weirdly. Uh, you said, you are a machine and you work, uh, for those in charge doing repetitive tasks until you break free of the system. The tools and knowledge they give you can be used to fight back. Uh, and like the upgrades that you sort of get, uh, for your character... Uh, you sort of use to fight back against this system where you find out, and this is a big spoiler, so I guess play the game if you don't want to listen any further, but the whole world is like completely and utterly thrown to shit after our time skip, and there's like a giant war that happened that destroyed most of the world outside of a sort of limited range of, of areas that you can access by train. Uh, and everywhere else is sort of destroyed by uh, a constant onslaught of robots. Um, and they've also, like, set up fortress inside the house, which is why there's so much shit inside the house and so many robots <laughs> trying to kill you and everything being so insane. Although, that being said, I still don't think that this game justifies its difficulty because this is, like, a pleasant, fun story about, like, a robot trying to do good against the world, and it feels like I am actually punishing myself when I play this game. Like, I burnt my, I burnt my finger pretty badly uh pretty stupidly just doing like a weed thing and i kept playing <laughs> without treating it because just the pain of playing this game just felt the same as the pain of my finger on fire like it like my thumbs hurt from playing this game like i from holding down the run button from so long that like i i just feel like i'm gonna get carpal tunnel especially because i did this all in one sitting uh, <laughs> and it gets pretty dark at a certain point. At one point, the same way that you sort of suck up and just sort of obliterate all the junk around you, uh, you sort of suck up and disintegrate a person. 
who you who's like uh just shot like one of your friends damn and like <laughs> so like judge jury and executioner it's like you you think that this game is like cute and for kids because it has this like kind of cuddly cute exterior but like actually there's like a lot of death and blood and gore and people like snapping necks and stuff uh <laughs> so it, it, after that you sort of kind of go into this uh tale of trying to uh infect all of the evil robots with a nice virus that was engineered from uh the Horus and his nice programming, uh, and the fact that he sort of lived for longer than all of these industrial prototypes, which have all of the same memories as Horus. Every single uh, robot around the world that is, like, designed to kill and has destroyed the world has the same base memories as Horus. But they stopped developing. Okay, you have to get to the end of this game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but, like, the development of these, like, robots stopped at a certain point, and then they just made them fight each other, but then when they were told to fight each other, and then it was just robots versus robots, they looked at each other, and then with, like, the little bit of horrors that they did have in them, they were like, I don't want to fight you. Let's fight them. And they fight the people instead, who, who oh, made fuck. them fight each other and start wars, because they didn't understand that the robots just want to be humans and people, and just be understood as, like, a sentient life form, rather than a servile slave to do whatever it so is what, that you, you, you need to do What you're saying is a system designed to pit things against each other and make them thrive by fighting each other eventually once they decide not to fight and lay down their arms against each other and lay them against the people who have designed the system in which they put them to fight each other will descend into a dystopian madness of junk. Yeah, basically. Uh, right now in the game, <laughs> I just got back from the moon where uh, a bunch of Illuminati are held up. Uh, and they had me show them my super... I showed them my super awesome robot powers, and they were like, cool, uh, we're going to infect the nice virus to everyone. And also, uh, spoilers, we're going to shoot half of the team members that you care about and then force you to escape in an escape pod where you're dragging for your life trying to get out of this uh, moon base, and then after you finally do, like, a shmup and you're back home on Earth, uh... <laughs> you like, so good. You, you, not, I just, like, I met up this, uh, this random guy who calls himself uh, Fort, because his name, uh, his, like, designation ended in 4-2, and he decided that that's what he wanted his name to be. Uh, and, like, he sort of is trying to figure out his life and what he wants to be, but he's like the super death robot that like is designed to kill, but he doesn't want to kill anybody anymore. So literally all he does is follow you around for a bunch of platforming segments, <laughs> talking to you about like, like, oh man, that looks dangerous. Oh man, there's a jump. Oh man. One of my favorite things that he said, I think, was like, man, this seems a little bit more dangerous than it really has any right to be. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it really is more dangerous than it has any right to be. <laughs> or something along those lines <laughs> actually one of my favorite quotes from this game uh, I, I wrote it down it was one of the first things that I wrote down about this game because it just caught me so freaking off guard uh, and it just really solidified all the things that I have as problems of this game but are also kind of hilarious about it so the robot is narrating to me and as I'm trying to escape this cave that I fell down uh, and there's like a million saw blades and it's like way longer than you would have ever expected based on the cutscene. It says, it may seem ridiculous, but I really did fall this far down the cave. 
<laughs> as if like the game designer is justifying for himself how long that segment is and like how stupidly difficult it is it's just this meta like commentary just like he knows well yeah and in that sense it shares a lot with forrest gump because it's told from a future perspective and it's told from the perspective of the robot and everyone's voices are the robot retelling the story exactly in the words that they said because he's a robot and he remembers everything perfectly but also doesn't quite understand the world perfectly so he has this like little hint of innocence that sort of Forrest Gump had as well in the way that he sort of encountered all of these real world situations with sort of an innocent sort of uh, personality. Uh, and for that reason, I say that if you can stomach the seriously butt-clenchy precision platforming that this game has to offer, there is so much here that you will enjoy and, and, and discover. And uh, I know I'll never play this game again if I ever beat it, uh, but if I ever beat it, it will feel like a real damn accomplishment, because there is no difficulty changes, there's just Horus, and you gotta get to the end. Oh my god. It, it, I literally am, like, shaking thinking about this game. It, like, it gives me anxiety. Ugh, I, I want you to beat it and tell me how it is. I want to beat it too, but the, the final achievement in the game, like, the game over, it has, like, 5% achievement. And, like, I'm at 15% right now where I'm at in the story... So, like, most of the people that have gotten this far, like, one-third are going to make it to the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you've spent, like, it's a 30-hour-long game, basically, like. Especially if you want to collect everything. Oh, my God. So, I, I, I can see it. But I need to know. I need to know this robots are all Horus thing. Like, that's insane. I might, like, come back and kind of update everyone on the ending of the game and spoil everyone on the next podcast hey I don't if, know. if it doesn't get claimed in our giveaway i'll probably be downloading it myself that's very true but uh yeah so there's a lot of uh toughness in that game i can't think of a segue uh next up is neoverse uh the 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 let Neoverse is a game by Tino Games Inc. <laughs> yeah? Uh, More. It is a deck building roguelike. So, for those of you who are familiar with, like, Slay the Spire, you know, just a little, ga a little, little tiny game, little tiny deck building game that exists. It's like that. It's literally like that, except a little more straightforward. Uh, the interface is a little easier to navigate and stuff. Uh, and, you know, there's. Uh, I. I. I will refrain from talking too philosophically about this game because there's not a lot philosophically to talk about. You're you're dropped into this sort of world where you're given like a Star Wars s scrolling piece of information saying like we we did science so well we made a utopia. Then we did science so bad that we opened gateways into parallel universes and now time and space is ruptured and we don't know what's up and down. Like that's all the lore you're given and there's like some stuff you can speculate, like, all the main characters are female, which is a cool nod, I think. Oh, like, huh. They're, they're strong protag protagonist females, like, in in a not very story-driven game, but they exist and they kick ass. And... Are they scantily clad at all? Are they, like, male fan service? Um, the, I, I mean, they're all obviously, like ideal female body but like the the initial skins you get too aren't entirely fan servicey like one of them's in in like crusader armor one of them's in a kind of skimpy dress and the others in like jogging attire almost um, okay 
So so they're not I don't think they're terribly sexualized given current like context of sexualization of women it could be a lot worse. So uh, I, I don't think they're too fan servicey. Um, at least not the initial skin. Some of them you get like, oh, skimpy girls in cheerleader outfits. So it it, it be- gets kind of bad when you unlock the other skins. But it, it, I, like all of these sort of games where they have collectible waifus, uh, exactly. the, the premium ones are always the really scantily clad ones. A hundred percent. And and so there's this kind of like interesting implication, like maybe all the main characters are the same character from different timelines or universes or whatever. Um, and there's this like weird oh. idea that like one of them focuses on like science. They use like radiation and guns. One of them is all focused on like religion and they use like uh, vampirism and uh, crusader like religion. Uh and or magic kind of and then the other is like purely focused on magic like she summons animals and and she casts spells so it's it's really interesting and they all play very distinct and it kind of maybe implies like the tenets of this society but that all that is grasping at straws for something there um <laughs> it feels like more narrative justification for the gameplay mechanic it's a hundred percent narrative justification for the gameplay mechanic which is slay the spire-esque so it's a it's a deck building card game. Um, you get each each character has different mechanics that they start with. There's two different starting decks for each core mechanics. So like you can do the radiation starting deck or the gun starting deck, and then there's a starting deck that's a hybrid of both. And then all characters have a daily deck too that you can unlock every day. It changes, and it's it's like random cards from their card set put together for a, a, a random deck. Um, and so there's there's two different game modes. There's an adventure mode and like a trophy mo- mode because you need trophies to unlock things. In the adventure mode, uh, the way it's presented is you you have your deck of cards, you get a little UI, and the UI has a a list of like three options you can choose from. Each option is either a normal boss, an elite boss, or a rare elite boss. Uh, and it, it varies, it's randomly generated, and then each option also includes a quest with rewards. So, like, the quest might be don't use any defensive cards in a battle, or purchase four cards from the store, and then they each give you rewards. Like, one might give you seven skill points, or one might uh, let you upgrade all the defense cards in your deck. Um, so you you're, you're, there's this sense of, like, you pick you either pick a quest or a fight, or you, you pick the one that gives you the best of both worlds, because... The harder fights rewards you with better things immediately, but the harder quests give you better, like, but different quests give you different rewards, and you might want a certain reward to tweak your deck versus another one. Um, so it, it's really interesting the sort of, like, tools they were implementing in this game. Uh, and hmm. then there's there's a skill tree, and the skill tree's uh, four by four row. Uh, so what is that? 20-something total, like, abilities you can choose from. Um, And each of them costs different amounts to unlock, and there's things like take no radiation damage, or you... uh, Every time you play a defense... Or every time you play a shoot card, gain two defense, or something like that. Um, So you you get these skills that let you tweak your play style based on the kind of cards you're getting. Uh, So I, I found a lot of fun kind of customization in that like the decks you're building and the skills you get. Uh, I had I had a very fun deck that I built. Like there's cards that are called, they're continuous cards. 
So they're one-time use, but give you an ability that lasts for the whole fight. And oh, so, okay. yeah, it was a lot of fun. And so there's a skill that lets you, like, pad your hand with continuous cards at the start of the fight. And so my build was focused on, like, accumulating as many continuous cards as I could and popping as mm. many abilities as I could at the start of the fight so that throughout it I was just getting all these, like, bonus, like, action points and bonus radiation damage and stuff like that. It was really cool. And... Um, <laughs> oh, oh, I have a fucking story. The, so I Please. found I found the game to be the the deck building was very laned. Like you picked a lane and you stuck with that lane hard. And there wasn't a lot of room to switch or develop tactics. And there wasn't a lot of like combos or anything you could do with cards. For the most part, it was very much... You're, you're, you're stuck with the cards you're dealt. You're, you use the action points you can use. And, and you don't get very unique synergies or anything. Uh, and and it, whatever you stuck with, whatever you started picking, you were stuck with because there weren't a lot of tools to remove or manipulate your deck very well. Um, so I found, like, I, I often found myself just getting skills that cost zero because I could run through zero cost cards and because every time you use a card, you draw a new card. So I could run through zero cost cards indefinitely almost. And so that, that felt like the best tactic to me as I was playing was just like, just get the lowest cost things you can get so you can run through as much of your deck as possible as you play. Um, which is funny because on the, the last boss fight, the turn I, the way I ended up beating it, was uh it has the boss had an ability that randomly switched the attack or the the cost of two cards in your deck in your hand uh and so what i found was i could i chant i ran through my whole deck and ended up getting everything to cost zero and so for one turn of the fight, I could stack up as much radiation, like infinite radiation. I could stack up infinite shields and generate infinite action points and then just pass the turn and, and kill the boss that way. So it, it, was, it was a really fun little exploit that I accidentally stumbled on at the end that let me beat the last boss. Um, but yeah, it, it, it wasn't very adaptive. It wasn't very... Uh, reactive it was just kind of like pick the lane that's the cheapest and easiest to go with and that's the lane you stick with which i found a little disappointing it is kind of disappointing i was hoping for a little bit more with that game um it, it wasn't terrible it's not the worst deck building game i've played it had a lot of really cool and unique features that i haven't seen in other ones but you know all in all i found like Split, slay the spire is obviously like the the de facto go-to deck building roguelike and i this doesn't have much of a reason to play other than outside you know rather than slay the spire like you've already played slay the spire and you played it so much that you want something else like maybe then pick up neoverse exactly yeah like that that is a very fair assessment to be play make like if you played a ton of slay the spire and you're wanting another game that feels kind of the same yeah, Neoverse is a great alternative. It, it it and it does a lot of really unique things that it's going to feel fresh and fun and exciting coming from Slay the Spire. Cool. In fact, I actually went back to play Slay the Spire after this game and there was a lot of times that I was like, "Man, I really wish it had this or I really wish it had that." So, it's it's not terrible. 
it it's very and and it's challenging. It took me probably 20 runs to get through and beat the final boss. I spent like 18 hours just like cuz I wanted there to be more to this game. You just like wanted desperately for there to be more. I so wanted there to be more. I was I I fucking love parallel dimensions and alternate universe like story and lore and and like that that kind of stuff is so fascinating to me. And when it teased it at the start, I was like, oh, I am so in for this. I will play this game till the end of time, exploring different worlds and stuff. But there was just nothing to the storyline. E- even even if there was just, like, a little dialogue at, at each thing, like, we're going to a new universe now, it, it probably would have made me, like, insane about this game. That's so true. Even a little bit of story helps to really drive a player. Like, I mean... God knows that I wouldn't have gotten through Horus if it didn't have a, such a good story. Like, <laughs> I would not have cared enough to have gotten through some of the bullshit in that game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all in all, decent. It, it It's not the worst in the world. If you like it, the style, go for it. If you like it, go for it. If you like it, go for it. But But don't get stuck up in the pixie dust of it. You can say that about a lot of games. Just like, yeah... <laughs> If you like it, you like it. Spe- speaking of which, yeah. we got we got we got three three little extras. Johnny didn't play jack shit. Oh, we made it through the bundle. That that that's, yeah. Whoa, we did it. That was the last game of the bundle. In case you didn't realize, was, if you if you want to make a big deal about it, I still got three more to go though. We got extras. We got to pound those through. We're already on two twenty, man. Yeah. All right. Well, who knows? I'll edit it out. Yeah. Okay. You got a lot. You can cut out. <laughs> so. Fae Tactics is the first of the different games that we are tackling, that I am tackling here for the extras. You're our good, good extras, boy. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Endless Fluff is the developer who made the first game, Fae Tactics. Uh, it is another Final Fantasy Tactics-esque game. Uh, I found this one to be faster uh, paced and a little bit quicker compared to Arbiter's Mark, which we covered uh, a week or a week or two ago. Uh, I felt like it was uh, a little bit easier to kind of get into in terms of the gameplay. Uh, there wasn't uh, as in-depth party customization. You just pick your, your fae character and you go, and each fae gives you different spells and abilities to use uh, throughout the match. Uh, and they all have their own unique cooldowns. Uh, the story, I felt like, really kind of left a lot to be desired. Uh, the demo was only about an hour and a half. It seemed pretty fun. But honestly, I feel like it needed to bring more to the table to really make me excited about uh, buying the commercial release. Um, Rainy Season is the next game. Uh, Both of these games, by the way, are Humble original games, I believe. They are from the Humble uh, publishing brand. This is a cute little interactive vignette uh, about there's just this one day where nothing much happens uh, in a Japanese household where a boy kind of dreams of these vivid worlds while bored at home uh, because of a rainstorm uh, that floods just a a small part of his house and causes him to stay home instead of going to an amusement park. Uh, I found it very atmospheric, uh, especially just kind of like to look into this very intimate family home life of a, a person in another country. It has some fun, surreal surprises. Uh, but I will say it is very easy to just kind of glitch the game and break immersion by like throwing pots on people's heads and they don't really give a shit or like having something on a table that like during a cutscene stays on the table in like a weird way and blocks your vision. 
so in that sense, it's kind of not perfect and it's rough around the edges, but it's a very cool little, I'd almost call it like an interactive poem, very similar to 1980X and that sort of brevity. Uh, you can also choose whether or not you want the day to last like 20 minutes or an hour, which is a cool little feature. Um, and finally, the last little game that we're covering here in Extras, <laughs> I know I'm talking a lot, <laughs> is Train Valley 2. This is actually a game that was given in last uh, month's bundle, but none of us noticed it because they just kind of threw it in there for free. And, like, <laughs> I feel like if you got the bundle last month, you should go back and check because you probably have a copy as well. And this is a pretty neat little one. Uh... I hate that you put all of the names of the developers in here for me to desperately try to pronounce. <laughs> this game is uh, Russian as fuck. Alexei uh, Davidov, Sergei Dionikov, Timofey Shargyotsky. <laughs> Those are the three people who made a cute game about assembling trains. Uh, you kind of ship and sell uh, different items and you assemble different items as well. It's like a very smaller scale version of the industry thing that I was doing earlier, but focusing just on the trains. Um, and I really like trains. I was a conductor for a while. Fun fact about me. So uh, this is just relaxing and simple and enjoyable with lots of levels to complete where each level feels like a little puzzle. Uh, and you get ranking depending on different factors, like how quickly you defeat, uh, not you defeat it, that, that you finish the level, and like if you don't uh, make any trains collide with each other, that kind of thing. So, very cute, very fun. It's $20, which seems a little bit overpriced to me, maybe that's just because I got it for free, but there's a lot of content, like a lot of it. There's like 400-something levels, so maybe that is worth it, especially if you're into those kind of low-key cute puzzle games. That's it. We did it! Those are the extras. Now we made it through the extras. Wow. Yeah. That was quick. We got there, guys. Thanks for thanks for this journey. Thanks for still listening if you've actually listened this far. You're like yeah. my hero. We appreciate you all. You guys yeah. are the you guys are the backbone that keep us going. Yeah. You're you're you you you're the proletariat. You're our proletary pals. <laughs> You're we, love, we love the we're, we're all proletariat. We're all working together. We we all we all out here grinding in this gig economy. We we're just fronting that we're bourgeoisie, man. We're fucking poor as shit. <laughs> Who's fronting? <laughs> I'm a homeowner. I'm not. I'm not a homeowner. I I have no, too much I've, debt to own a home. I, I rent an apartment. My I, I give most of my 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 my, my savings to to a landlord. Yep. So what's your top game of the bundle? F fuck you. Why are you asking me? <laughs> uh, man, I don't know. There's a lot of good stuff. I don't know how to feel about Horus because I don't like how challenging it is and that there's no option to not make it less challenging. <laughs> I just wanted to get to the end and I felt like I was tearing my teeth out trying to get to there. I feel like because of that I have to give it to Warsaw. Warsaw? I... I really enjoyed Warsaw. I feel like it was uh, an interesting take on how you can sort of documentarize a system uh, in, in, the, in the idea of, of an event being recognized as a system where one person kind of did something that, that, that caused the world to sort of react in a certain way and that carried on for a while until it ended. And you sort of see how uh, it transpired. And I feel like that's something that only really a game can do. And, and I, I praise it for that. And I, I feel like more people should play it. It doesn't have great reviews, 
because I think it had some quality of life uh, issues uh, before a very recent update, which I think is part of the reason why it was involved in the Humble Monthly at all, um, was to sort of give it a bit better word of mouth now that it has all these quality of life updates. Um, so I would say go play that one. I really like Warsaw. You know, I think I think I'm honestly gonna have to second that. I, I, I didn't play Warsaw, but just the things it's doing as a game and the way it's making history more accessible and and sort of shaping the way we think about and interact with our history, I think that is just too significant of a thing to be doing to pass up or let it go on. You know, I I, I think it it really deserves a place this month as like an important and significant and special game yeah especially just because like i want to see that game succeed you know like this seems like the kind of game that is like maybe not the kind that would be put in a a classroom per se but it's the kind of game that i will for sure remember i never really considered the polish resistance to the nazis ever like before this yeah. because i always just in history books it's like they were squashed the end i didn't i didn't give it a second thought yeah exactly like they tried to resist and they died but like it's so important the resistance that they tried even though they failed and, and the human effort that went into it and, and and how it sort of ended up shaping the the future that poland does now today have like it i don't know I, I feel like I could go Wikipedia diving more and, and playing more of this game. See, and I love that that's like, it's challenging you to do that. It's getting you motivated and passionate and interested in these like historical events. Yeah, I mean, it's such a specific event. And I think that's the strength of it. Yeah. Is that it doesn't focus on like the whole war. It says this is the Polish's contribution to the war in this specific time period. And that's really cool. That's the first time we ever agreed on a, on a final game. I think so. You you sold me on it though. Uh, kind of had to sell myself a little bit because I had to kind of remember that like the developers, because like I don't know, Horus also hasn't got like the best reception either. It's not like it's kind of flew under the radar. I'd say a lot. So I, I wanted to give that game more of a shout out as well, but like it's just so frustrating. Like I can't recommend it to everyone. Storyline. Horus is all my like I am so fucking on board for that this like Illuminati bullshit and like yeah fucking brainwashed people fighting back against corrupt fucking monsters and like oh (laughs) all told from the perspective of just like a delightful dapper little robot gentleman yeah I I love that I love that so much like storyline wise I'm so on board for that game but yeah just sucks to play you just and, and you can't beat something that's like doing something significant too like we can tell stories all day long but warsaw is like actually making people making you reevaluate history Mm -hmm. that was one that you almost took for this bundle and i'm kind of glad that i snagged it from you because i really enjoyed it oh i would now that i've played swords of ditto i would have traded you that for warsaw in a heartbeat (laughs) But thing is, I saw Swords of Ditto and I was like, I've played this game before. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't tell me that. Well, it's not like, no, I haven't played it before, like literally, but just like oh. looking at it, like on the visuals, I just like looked at it and I was just like, this is the kind of cute indie RPG that I've played before. Yeah. Like. And it but, is. It Yeah. At the same time. 
still looks fun. I'll probably play it once, maybe. I don't know. It's worth a pass through. They got Steam Share. Yeah, exactly. My games are your games. Uh, so to kind of close up shop here for today. Yes. Um, I should we just talk about what we've, what we've been playing? I, I let's, suppose. Let's talk about what we've been playing real quick. So, uh, I mean, Call of Duty and uh, Animal Crossing are like the two sort of fluctuating go-tos for both of us. <laughs> yeah. We are both kind of constantly between those two games. Gotta play those stonks. Yeah, we, we're, we got, gotta get those uh, chicken dinners, gotta get those stonks. I've played more of Night Call, which is a game that we talked about uh, a while ago in the bundle, and I just tremendously enjoyed finishing up this game. Uh, I'm pretty sure that this is the only time I've talked about it again on the on the podcast. I don't think I talked about it last month. Uh, but just the idea of like, we were kind of mentioned it a little bit in this podcast earlier, the idea of like telling a story through a bunch of smaller pieces, uh, of like with, with, uh, what was it? Mo? Mo. Yeah. Uh, Mo Astray. Mo Astray. And the whole idea of like learning just a little bit from like controlling somebody and seeing the one sentence, uh, is sort of applied in that game uh, in the sense that, like, every person that you pick up kind of has their own unique story and their own unique take about the world. And, like, I'll always kind of remember the the pregnant lady who left uh, the UK because uh, she voted for Brexit and then realized that, like, all, all of the things that were happening for it and then uh, got, like, a fiancé in France and then is trying to get, like, a France... Uh, uh, birth certificate for their like son or daughter it, it, and just like so something about like just the intimacy uh, of just meeting these people and it now has this pasadex mode where you can just like casually play it as just a taxi sim and that's it like there is like a murder sort of hanging in the air for some reason in the dialogue because it kind of has to because that's where how the whole game is sort of situated around like the sort of solving the murder but the fact that they the developers were kind of listening to people and the fact that people were having trouble filling out their Pasadex and they were like, all right, there's just a mode where you can just do that now. And you can just pick people up. That's so cool. I really like that. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that they're adding more to the game even after they uh, gave it out in their big humble monthly. Also Borderlands 2, playing that a little bit. That's it for me though. Why 2 and not 3? Uh, I don't own 3. You don't own 3? No. I do never, never bought it. Fucking come over and play 3 next week? Maybe. Honestly. Let's do it. Uh, I've been dying to get into the DLC. Yeah, I uh, have been playing two because, for one, it's the one that I own, but also it's just a nice way to reconnect with friends. I was actually playing with a friend that I haven't talked to literally since high school, playing oh, a little bit that. of Borderlands. So it's just a nice chill game where you can just talk about shit and not have to really pay too much attention. So anything you've been playing? Different? Uh, I literally just started Streets of Rogue, like, right before we recorded this podcast and i have fallen <laughs> um i i've fallen in love with that game already it's so oh good i'm excited to hear you tell me more about that oh i'm like, like <laughs> you start the game and they're like the evil corrupt mayor mayor has been elected he promised us all lower tax rates and free booze but then he raised the tax rates and took all the booze for a party but he didn't even throw the party <laughs> <laughs> it's, and so like the whole thing now is you're just like you're going to go kill the corrupt mayor basically i'm i'm so excited it's amazing 
I love it. Eat the rich. Yeah, I'm I'm so ready for it. Uh, and then like job application simulator, because like who's actually hiring right now? But I'm still filling them out. Yeah, no, I am also. Uh, we we, I mean, in the real life, in the real world, we just graduated like days ago, virtually. So I've spent all so. week just applying for jobs in what would be my video game time. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I plan on, like, teaching English in Japan at some point, and I need to start applying for that, like, immediately. Uh, that's probably what I'm going to do probably tomorrow. Heck yeah, I can't wait. I want, And you'll pick up enough Japan, so then you can come back and teach me Japanese. That's the hope. That's the plan. I can just teach everyone through my osmosis. Yeah, I love that good osmosis. Mm-hmm. That's how uh, we all learn. That's how we've all learned since we were little. Yep. That's how I learned that. Uh, you, oh, I was I was gonna make some real bad joke that I probably should. Like, like, wait, like what? That, that's that's how I learned all those racial epithets was through osmosis. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, like that is what society teaches us. But like, <laughs> oh, mm. we live in a fucking world, a planet inhabited by people. You live in a society, in a, in a planet, in a, in a world. With so people. wash your hands, because it's a society. And, and wear a mask. Uh, so what, do you have, did you, did you, I, I, I fielded it to you to see if you could come up with something by the end of this. Do you have a question for the listeners to th- this week, month? Um, I, I see a question that's already in here, which is, do job applications count as games? <laughs> that's not and... the actual question. I know that it's not, but I do want to pose the idea uh, of, of things that are games that we would not normally think of as games. Like, um, I, I think that, like, capitalism, for example, is a game. Because, uh, you know, it's like a system of inputs and outputs. Uh, you know, it's like all these There's different systems. There's designed rules and mechanics that you can follow, yeah. Right, right, right. So what are the systems that are games? Okay. Does that make sense? Okay, so 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 the question you're posing is is what real world systems exist out there that are are that can be played like a game that you've seen in your personal life? Like Yes. Yeah. That that is that is my discussion question. Okay, I like it. And I'm uh, glad that you said it instead of me. <laughs> I, I, was, I was helping shape the thought. <laughs> Sorry. No, I appreciate it. Uh I, I sometimes need that. <laughs> mold it like some potatoes some delicious uh potato clay yeah exactly we we we, we contribute together you uh, i i help you shape your thoughts and you help me stay sane and mm-hmm. stay focused honestly you keep me so fucking grounded <laughs> really oh I'm yeah dude that. <laughs> <laughs> look how long it took me to talk about the mechanics of neoverse <laughs> dude i mean I, I had a whole spiel too so you know <laughs> it goes for both of us okay i i think the mechanics i've seen in real life hmm, i don't know we'll talk about it next week so i have time to think yeah, about it. think about it okay i don't even uh, remember one from last week what favorite, favorite game franchise that we wanted to revive it was ape yeah, escape revi- yeah mine was yours was ape escape and mine was viva pinata yeah so Still don't know yours. We got a new one now, so 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 don't whatever you do, don't send in any previous. We we will, we will call the police. We will if you we, send we in a know previous the authorities, emission. and we can alert them. We we can. We have the uh, 
utmost authority. We're just bullshitting. We need to fucking end this podcast. Oh, well, I, I wanted to mention real quick something that we haven't done before that I, I realize we probably should be mentioning is that the the charity every month changes with Humble Bundle. And Whoa. this month's charity that you're donating to by subscribing to Humble Bundle is the Traveling Stories charity. And they provide programs, quote, this is a quote from their website, programs for at-risk kids that would not only help them learn to read, but also help them fall in love with reading. So they take... It's a mobile literacy program where they read stories to kids and every book a kid reads, they get points that they can redeem for prizes. So it, it fosters a love and interest for, for reading books as well. So I, I just thought it's a cool thing to mention that the actual charities that are being helped with the subscription as well. Bro. So you get to play games and teach kids how to read. Bro. Bro. Huh. Bro, do you see that, bro? What, bro? It's coming for us. Oh, oh God, no, it's not. It's, it's the end of the podcast, bro. It's coming. It, it's no, coming no, right no, at no, us. No. I don't want this. I don't want this, bro. Bro, I can't do this. I can't do this, bro. We, 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 have, we have to speed up really quick in order to in, 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 in order to finish the podcast be, 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 be before before it gets us. Before it gets us. Oh God, to the bro, end. bro, bro, I can't. I can't. The plugs are coming. The plugs are coming. I don't want them. Oh my God, guys. Okay, so you have to watch out for on the Unreal Store. They're giving out GTA Five next time. They're also going to be giving out a mystery game. Who knows what that's oh, going to be? God. Twitter, 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 oh, Twitter. Oh, okay. God. Uh, they're also, uh, I, I, I retweeted on Twitter uh, links to Lego Ninjago and Aegis Aegis on uh, free games for the humble. Uh, uh, we have a Discord. We have a Discord. Oh, no, it's coming. Go, quicker. Yeah, uh, Hitman and Sniper also free on mobile. Uh, fuck, is there anything else? Uh, like, comment, and subscribe. Oh, God, no. Stop. It's here. No. Uh, Hello. Welcome to the end of the podcast. Like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast. Please like, comment, follow us on Discord and Twitter. Follow on all of the social medias, and then retweet and subscribe for more. We stream every Tuesday and Friday now, starting at 10 p.m. All Mountain Standard Time. Yeah, also sometimes on the weekends from Saturday to Sunday. I don't know how often that will be because I don't want to set myself to any kind of deadline. But Friday and Tuesdays, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Retweet this episode for a chance to win one of this month's games. Oh. If you'd like, give us a little publicity and we'll give you a video game. Do it.